and welcome to episode 93. I can't talk about it. Anyway, how is your sex life? <laughs> episode 93 <laughs> of Random Encounter, the RPG fan podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Joining me today is apparently The Room. Well, we do have Peter. Uh, oh, hi, Peter. Oh, hi, Mark. Oh, hi, Peter. I, I, can, I can be Mark. Who's Johnny? Uh, I'll be Why Lisa. can't I be Lisa? I'll be Lisa. Yeah, you, oh, you look the part for sure. I'm, ju- I'm just not in love with Johnny anymore. You're my favorite podcast host. <laughs> <laughs> Steven, introduce, Steven, introduce yourself. Steven Myring, Taylor's on the boards. He likes to interrupt me, and I've just decided that we're going to keep going whenever we do that. Like, I, I just I, don't care. I did that in the last segment you were on Music of the Year. You interrupted me and said something weird, and I just left it. Yeah, and I'm just going to do that to you from now on. You were also really mean to me on Music of the Year. I was, but I apologize. <laughs> I get this text from Steven. He's like, gosh, I was just being horrible to you. I'm really sorry, too. I, no, I was going no. over the editing, and I was like, I am a horrible human being. I need to apologize to him. It's like 4 a.m., and I'm editing. Whatever. He probably deserved it. Oh, oh no, I totally did. I totally did. I probably At, at, at the end, you deserved it. Not, not in the middle, though. <laughs> well, in Steven's the- defense, he did do 15 hours of mu- music podcasting over the course of a few weeks. I thought we were just reaching a point where Steven was putting together music of the year 2015. Like, and wasn't letting <laughs> it... It's going to last all year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alright, so that all that dulcet tone you also hear is uh, Derek Heemsbergen. Yo, what up? I'm still Derek Heemsbergen. Everyone on the boards, how's it going? Xenoblade comes out tomorrow for 3DS. That's pretty exciting, even though I've already played it. And, and, al- uh, and also, Derek has... Uh, has a revelation to tell. Yeah, I have joined the dark side. Yes, you have. We'll talk about it soon. We'll talk about it soon. Don't 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 give it away too much. No join the hunt. Give it away. Give it away. Give it away. Yeah. All right. Uh, we also have two new people joining the podcast this week, and I'm going to absolutely butcher their last names. So here we go. Oh, God. They're not that hard to pronounce. We got Mike Solasi. Solosi. Solosi. Really? Seriously? Really? Yeah, it's it's Hungarian, not Ethiopian dictator from the 30s. <laughs> Interestingly, his Skype avatar is Peter from Peter, not Peter. Oh my gosh, what's no? This? It's Michael from Michael. Peter Pan. Ugh, crap! What? It wasn't that. It wasn't that hard. But it would have been. It would have been a really appropriate segue if it was Peter, right? Uh, I have to do this because my wife always makes me do it. Poor Nana, poor <laughs> Nana. What about poor father? It took me like twenty years to realize that the father has the same voice as Captain Hook. Oh, and God sake! And they're like conflating each other. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Peter Pan. That was so fun. We got the Blu-ray of uh, Peter Pan, and I was making a bet with Jackie saying there is absolutely no way they're going to keep uh, what makes the Red Man red in this movie. And sure enough, there it did. is. <laughs> it's still in there, and it is still really racist. <laughs> as long as it draws attention away from Song of the South, Disney's A-OK with it. Yeah, it's not as bad as the crows from Dumbo, but it is pretty <laughs> oh, bad. Oh, man. Oh, I, I mean, forgot at that point, it would sort of be tampering with the cultural legacy of it to remove the song. Well, they did also change the, what is it, the opening song for Aladdin. They they got rid of the whole chopping off hands part from the what? original. Yeah, they, yeah, they changed yeah. that. But I only steal what I can't afford, which is uh, everything. Oh, boy. Okay, and then we also have uh, Peter, I'm not even going to try that last name. Can I, can I? Can I try That's it? That's his invitation. If Peter's actually going to talk, or is he not here right Go now? ahead, Stephen. Try it. Treasonberg. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, you got it. Uh-oh. Yeah! Either Peter's on a massive delay. I'm, I'm, Peter, I'm Peter. I have fear. Peter, are you uh, on a massive delay right now? I, I'm. Yeah, yeah, I am. Okay. 
All right. <laughs> and back to you in the studio, Jim. <laughs> this is going to make things very difficult. In oh, I'm studio. I'm Mike's okay, close. I, I can try. I can try. Uh... Oh boy. Okay. Here we go. This is why we need a studio. And Stephen, make sure you bring your mic to E3. So that we can get like really drunk in the room. And where are we gonna base the studio though? That's a good can, point. Can we do it someplace like with a nice kind of someplace foresty, someplace with a nice cool climate, not too muggy, like coffee shop in the in the lobby? Oh no no no! You guys remember when Zach had to record one time from like. Was it Zach or Steven had to record from a coffee shop in Japan, and so they were talking very low the entire time? I was in an internet cafe, <laughs> and the man next to me was having intimate time. Oh, that was back in the day. Over, over Skype? Or what? Yeah. Like video call? Skype. Yeah. No, oh, I, don't, I, don't know who, I don't know who he was doing it with. I mean, it may have just been he was you know watching his internet uh, content. Hmm. All right. So we got games to talk about. We actually have a lot to talk about, and I apologize to all the listeners because I uh, have been very busy and we haven't had a lot of time to do podcasts, and Steven has been working the salt mines that is music of the year for about three decades, it feels like. Um, so so a lot of stuff came out, and we have a lot of stuff to talk about. Yeah. And, and Remember I, last time when we were like anticipating stuff? Well, that stuff is out. Yeah, all that stuff happened. Um, and I think we're going to start, because I'm the host... And we have, like, too many games. We, we, we had a really long intro for how many games we have to talk about. Yes, yes. We should probably get started. Um, let's talk about Bloodborne. Let's, let's, Bloodborne? Let's do this right now. The, uh, it's the Bloodborne of Dark Souls. It, it, is, it is, in fact, the blood of Dark Souls. I, I just like referring to it like that. Uh, Bloodborne is now out on PlayStation 4, the spiritual successor to Demon Souls, Dark Souls, not Dark Souls 2. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. <laughs> uh, Hidetaki Miyazaki is back as the director, the now like complete overlord of From Software, decided to make another game. And... Um, Whew! That game is a lot of fun. Uh, we did a lot... Go ahead. I'm just going to go ahead and give you the satisfaction right now of saying my lack of enthusiasm for Bloodborne has been replaced by the opposite of that. Very so good. Very good. You, you were correct in that I would turn around on that. But I, I understand your lack of enthusiasm, because we were, we were coming off Dark Souls 2, which I, I think we can't rewrite history too much on Dark Souls 2. That is a good game. It's a good game. It, it, yeah, no, that's, you know, my roommate has been asking, is Dark Souls 2 worth playing? And, like, I keep saying, like, it's not a bad game. It's just, like, all of the interesting discovery and, like, the cool nuance that Dark Souls and Bloodborne have is sort of not in Dark Souls 2. It's just, like, we made levels again, and uh, we took a bunch of stuff from Dark Souls, and here's 40,000 dudes in armor with big weapons. Yeah, it, it it's a little uninspired. Uh, I actually like the fact that the, it's so diverse in terms of environments. I like that. There's too many bonfires. It's not balanced real well. A lot of bosses are just giant dudes in armor that you circle strafe and punch in the throat until they die. Um Bloodborne is kind of the opposite of Dark Souls 2 in a lot of ways. Like... They've trimmed a lot of the fat of the Souls franchise. So, for example, you don't have to worry about equipment load anymore. Like, you are always fast. You don't have to worry about, like, your fat rolls and whether or not your stamina consumption is different based on how much armor you're carrying. Like, they got rid of that. You, uh, you don't have to worry about the number of items that you pick up. Like, 
They will instantly go to your bottomless storage box if you go over. When you return to the Hunter's Dream, which kind of acts like the Nexus from Demon Souls, it's your main hub area, and you transport all over Hell's Half Acre from that spot. You replenish all your blood vials. There's a lot of the fat trimmed out. And, and Derek, you were talking about this too. You felt like you could understand what was going on in Bloodborne. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, this is exactly why I, I find that I like this game and I didn't like the previous games. And as I said in the previous podcast, a lot of that had to do with presentation aesthetic. And then a lot of those opaque uh, game mechanics that were just hidden behind this impenetrable wall that you did, you had to go online and look it up or have a friend or something um, to really understand what was going on. And Bloodborne eliminates so much of that. Like, <clears throat> I never question what a stat does when I level up. Like, everything is very clearly laid out. And I, and again, I don't need it to be, like, excessively handheld and, and told me, okay, baby, you put your stat in the endurance and it makes you have more stamina. Like, I, I get that, but... When ceaseless discharge ceaselessly discharges on you, you die and glitch into the floor. <laughs> I mean, there, there are a lot of mysteries. Like that, there, there are, but they're the right kind of mysteries. Like, yeah. they're... they're they're world mysteries. They're they're like environmental mysteries. It's not so much like I don't get what this stat does, or like I don't understand how to use a certain mechanic, like encumbrance or whatever in the previous one. Um, and I, I really like that when you die, you can just you don't have to like. It, it's easy to like. I understand what's happening. I can recover my blood echoes. Like I see the spot where I died, and. I guess that's not that different from Dark Souls, but everything just seems a lot more clear to me, and and the faster pace helps a lot too. Although I think um, I've been reading some stuff about people saying like, oh, you know, just because the combat is faster, that makes it an infinitely better game, and I wouldn't agree with that. I just think they've done a good job of eliminating the things that that were kind of hard for beginners to grasp, and by helping me get over that wall earlier on, I'm more prone to like put effort into the game and to actually get past these difficult sections because the challenge is there. It's incredibly difficult. I, I would. I, actually... I think it's also. I agree. I think they also sort of trimmed out. Like it's very self-reflexive in that like, they were like, "How is Dark Souls difficult?" And like they they sort of pinpointed what was good about the difficulty in Dark Souls, but then they were like, "How are most people playing this game? They're turtling. They're getting their shield and they're turtling. We're gonna take that away, but we're gonna and that makes it more active. And like I agree with you. I don't think the mere fact that the game is faster makes it better. I think it's the fact that the game is more active. Like, like in the boss fight with the father, I, I died a couple times against his second form because you can't go defensive on that. Like, the game sort of forces you to play aggressive. Yeah, I, I actually... So Papa G, as I've come to call him, he's kind of the second boss in the game. And, and I would actually say that this game... You know, maybe I'm going out, out on a limb here, but I felt like this game was way harder than the other Souls games at the start. Like, I was getting demolished in this game left and right. And I think part of that was I had to unlearn all the stuff that I had learned about the Souls franchise. Like, I had learned to, you know, stay passive, keep the shield up, just like you guys are saying. So I saw more You Died messages at the start of Bloodborne than I did, like, my entire time through Dark Souls 2. And when I got to Papa G, the game's second boss, I kept doing two things horribly wrong during that fight. The first was what Steven's saying, which is I continually tried to back off. And if you dodge into him... You actually get around him, and you get to the sweet spot at his back where you can kind of fight him. And a lot of the boss fights are more you d you figuring out where the safe areas are on a boss. I was I was really slamming my head against one of the later Chalice Dungeon fights 
because I kept trying to fight him the same way as every other boss that I've fought in a Souls game. And I was, like, trying to get behind him, and I kept getting, like, swatted in the back. And eventually, like, I just completely raged out at the game, like, about ready to throw a controller, and I backed away from it for a night, and I was like, okay, you are clearly doing something wrong. Like, you're trying to fight this game like the other bosses in the game, and he's punishing you for it. Watch what he does, pay attention, Rob, and you're going to be fine. I go in the next morning, and I beat him on my first try without even using three blood vials. Like, I just annihilated him, because it was more of a stick-and-move fight. Like, hit him once, and then back off real quick. Don't try to stay in a safe spot, because he's, you know, flailing all around, and he's going to knock you on your butt. So I was screwing up with that on Papa G, and then the worst part was, every time he knocked me down... I would try to get up immediately instead of timing my dodge for when he was attacking. So then he would just knock me down again. So, like, I had to completely unlearn everything that I was doing in the Souls game. And once I started to figure that out, like, I actually started to get a real firm grasp of how to play this game. And I think, Derek, you were almost in a better position than I was because you had never played, you'd never really gotten that invested in the games before. Yeah, that's an interesting notion. I'm not sure how your experience would compare to mine in terms of like just sheer difficulty because I didn't have all of those strategies learned. And so I had to approach it with a just a completely fresh mindset. And I also, even though I, I hadn't really played much of Dark Souls, I still had trouble being as aggressive as the game wanted me to be. And that's why I think the combat is really interesting because I'm not, it's so different from the, I mean, for me at least, like I'm not used to that kind of combat and it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like it's um meandering or clunky to me like i get it i get what it wants me to do but i'm just not good at pushing myself to to play that way and that's what makes it a compelling experience to me because it's like whoa i have to like seriously jump in there like those those two werewolves on the bridge in (laughs) in new york just you know (laughs) screw them (laughs) But I can't tell you how many times I died to them. But I I started to get the hang of it. I'm like, okay, this is what I need to do. I can't just keep dodging away. Like, I have to really jump in there and get them. And then that's that's the kind of thing that carries over to a lot of the bosses in the game. And I think the difference is what makes it so interesting. They, They actually punish you if you back off of them. Like, they have these real lunging attacks. Like, you need to get around to their back where those guys are really vulnerable. Whereas the boss that I was fighting later in the game like he really protects his back so a lot of the game is like watching and analyzing and really figuring out what to do where dark souls 2 was a lot of circle strafe and hit it with a giant axe right and And, and eventually it'll die and then of course the the other big reason why i like it besides besides it being less confusing and i keep saying confusing and i hope that it isn't interpreted like i don't get like i don't get how to play the game i don't get the buttons it's not that it's just I just felt like it was very needlessly complex in ways that didn't really need those extra layers. And but um, Souls was really bad about that. Yeah, um, but what I do, what I do really like about it is that, as many other people have pointed out, I'm not the first person to present this idea. I think it does feel very much like a modern Castlevania if Castlevania had continued evolving in a different direction. Um, mm-hmm. Just like in terms of the the sort of gothic horror e vibe that I get and I like that a lot and and also I had said how I was worried that it would be needlessly bloody but it's it's bloody for sure but it's never been to the point where I'm grossed out it's just like there's there's darkness and it's macabre but it's meaningfully so Mm-hmm. I was actually going to mention, and, and you're you're talking about the style of the game and, and thinking back on, like, Castlevania 64 and how that game has serious problems, but you can actually see, like, 
little hints of the Souls games in those games with like the measured combat and not really being focused on combos, being focused on like really dangerous enemies and exploration. Like, I agree with you. I think if Castlevania had gone that direction instead of like Les Men of Innocence, really combat focused, or Lords of Shadow, which was really God of War focused. They might have had something pretty special. <laughs> really, God of War focus. So it, bad. For God's sake! I mean, Lords of Shadow is just a God of War game. Like, yeah. it's it's kind of, it's almost sad that it was a God of War game because there was some personality in there and it didn't it didn't quite get there. Um, I don't know if that's a worse insult towards Lords of Shadow or God of War. I love God of War. Don't oh, okay. Wrong. I love sure. those. Th- right. I love those first three games. Like God of War Two, especially, is a fantastic like in cory barlog we trust like he made the best right. god of war game like that game's phenomenal um so i wasn't bagging on it for that i was just bagging on the fact that castlevania was so castlevania just didn't know what to do so it just emulated what was popular at the time and you can do that and make something very positive like dead space is just resident evil 4 but it's awesome dead space 1 and 2 at least and but... well to be a little fair Lords of Shadow did eventually try and take some pages out of Shadow of the Colossus's book too. That was it, being a God of War clone wasn't its only problem. Yeah, no, it necessarily, is. but uh, yeah, the um, it, this Probably gets much. I mean, if Derek likes it, and I I've, I have heard him talk about the Souls games in the past, and this has some you know ca- uh, meaningful Castlevania comparisons that you can make, and if the weapon variety is as good as Robert says it is, oh, it is, yeah. Then, yeah, it, it sounds like something I want to play. It, it's pretty amazing. Like they they really pared down the weapons, which had me super concerned when I first started playing it. Like, you know, in in a Souls game, you've picked up twenty weapons before you even know what to do. Like you're just picking them up no. left and right. I think this is much better. Yeah, yeah. Like I, it, but it took me a second. Like I was really concerned. Like, oh my god, this is kind of boring. And then you realize that. Every weapon is so incredibly different. It has different uses. It has different strengths. It has different weaknesses. Like, uh, I, I used the axe for my entire first run of the game, and I, I mentioned it in my review. Like, I love that axe. And then I started like, okay, well, I want to branch that out. Axe. That axe. And then I, I wanted to kind of – I wanted to – That branch. axe, though. <laughs> I, I wanted to branch out a little bit, and then I kind of went with the um, with the Holy Great Sword, which was a lot of fun, like super fast. And now I've actually moved back to the Saw Cleaver, which is the the you know the weapon on the box, and it's like the most mainstay weapon in all the advertising. And I love that weapon's speed, but at the same time, it doesn't stun enemies quite as well as as it could uh, when they're bigger enemies, when they have more poise. So there's no perfect weapon in the game like there isn't like the oh i'm i'm playing with the ultima blade that's going to win against oh, man. everything two-handed x spin to win just oh just that's charge that up but if you miss with that it's like oh dear like well, that, get good yeah no get good but like <laughs> that double axe swing well, saved well, my life go ahead peter what what was the weapon that Jim Sterling was using? The the one that's like it's a smaller sword, but the sheath turns it into a bigger sword. Yeah, that's Ludwig's holy sword, and the uh, the short sword is really fast, but it's third attack because it actually switches over into a thrust damage weapon, and that does better against certain enemies. Its third attack is a little slow in the short sword version, so you have to be really careful. Like You know that you have this one opening in your combo that a really fast enemy might break through and kind of throw you off balance. And what I find in this game is once you get hit once, that's when you start really screwing up. Like You almost have to back up and like calm down or just get super aggressive. So... 
it, it really is a measured combat system, but each weapon feels so different that it, it takes a lot of getting used to. Like, Steven loves his threaded cane, and I'm like, I I can't understand that weapon. The, re- the reason I love the threaded cane is because I like Castlevania video games and <laughs> style. <laughs> no, seriously. So the, I, it's interesting, too, because like I was listening to A4 Play, and one of their hosts actually uh, started with it and found it difficult to use, too. Um, this is not intentional, but I have heard that it's the most difficult weapon to start with, and I did not pick it for that reason. I had no idea. I don't look anything up on these games. You can't at all. hear. You can't hear me rolling my eyes right now at you, Steve. No, 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 no. no but it, like, you know, it. For me, I'm Steven like, I don't. Uh, well, I mean, that's not untrue, but no, I like. I all I knew was that I don't like axes. I feel like the axe is just like, okay, it's a long axe. Wow, interesting. And then I don't remember what the other thing was. And then the threaded cane was like, I turned into a whip. So, I mean, that is really all I needed to know. Uh, Konami is not giving us many chances to fight the forces of darkness with a whip. So I figured I would do it here. <laughs> but no, what's interesting about the threaded cane is that the range it has is so big. Because a lot of the, even the bigger get. weapons tend to have. Yeah, a, a lot of the bigger weapons tend to have this arc where it there's a blind spot. Like. You know, like, for example, with um, the saw spear, when you do the, the, the wide attack, um, you know, your left side doesn't doesn't uh, doesn't get attacked. So if you're like fighting a bunch of dudes coming at you, like, for example, on the bridge before you fight the father, like eight dudes rush you with that weapon, I would repeatedly get attacked from the left. Whereas with the threaded cane, if you keep your range appropriate and sort of like stand back, you can keep enemies away from you so much better, like. Not ashamed to admit, like the first part of Father Gas- get Father G, I actually didn't find the- that hard. It's his second form where it's like, oh my god, and like the first form, it's sort of like, yeah, I'll just whip you and then back away and whip you and then back away, and like he never gets close enough to hit you. So for me, I'm like the range in the threaded cane is awesome, and the just the the wide sweep of its attack is great, and then. The trans the when it's not transformed, the heavy attack is just so strong. Well, and and this gets to one of my biggest complaints with um with Lords of the Fallen. Like I don't want to back up too much and bag on a game that I think if Bloodborne had come out first, I think Lords of the Fallen would have lost about twenty Metacritic points. Like huh. it it, it it's kind of nasty, but Lords of the Fallen's biggest problem for me was that when you found a new weapon in the game, it almost always replaced the one you were currently using. So, like, you're using a short sword for a while, and then you find an axe that has a completely different moveset, but you need to start using it because it does so much more damage than the short sword that you're using. Okay, so you use the axe for a while, then you find a giant greatsword, and now that does more damage than the axe, and now i got to use the greatsword for a while. So I never felt comfortable in any of the weapons that I was using, whereas in Bloodborne, and this is something that the Soul series has done pretty well on a whole, is you pick a weapon, you start upgrading it, you stick with it, and it becomes like your bread and butter. Like, that weapon is an extension of your character. It's what you're using to define your character. Every weapon is viable. Like, that's something that I, I really appreciate in this game. And then it also makes you want to try new things. So I went from the axe to the holy blade to the saw cleaver. Like, I've just tried different things. And I've had a lot of fun building different characters. You know, I haven't gotten any jolly cooperation with Derek or Steven. I keep asking them to. Because I'm too weak. I'm level 13. I haven't played. I've been playing a game we're going to talk about later. Okay, okay. But I I think that Bloodborne, just by trimming a lot of the fat 
and really focusing in on the core combat. Like, they got rid of a lot of BS. You know, magic is even more pushed to the background than it's ever been before. The focus is on the combat now, and that has been such a smart move on their part. And the other thing that I love about this game is, at, yeah, after Dark Souls 2 is just endless supply of mobs, like a sp- Especially in those DLC episodes, you walk into a room and eight enemies run at you. And they're all the same. And it's just, okay, I'm going to circle strafe around the room and kill these guys. Bloodborne really switches up the enemy variety and enemies being placed. You know, there's a giant brute in front of a bunch of crows. So you kind of have two different types of enemies that you're dealing with. Rob, Rob, what you're trying to say is they put a room where a guy is on a tower shooting you with a machine gun is what you're trying to say. They did do that. Screw that guy. Him. Oh, Every but- single person I know that has played has a personal grudge against that guy. <laughs> uh, I As they should. When he- like I've never even met him, and I hear that he's an asshole. So he's I don't even. Dick. I don't even know. Like he is a dick. Like my roommate got killed by him a few times. I'm like, wait, is that dude seriously just plowing you with bullets from a tower? It's like, yep. Then you climb the tower and he shoots you off the tower. But but now I will say one thing about Bloodborne that I really like is that some of the you know, I, I know Steven's going to disagree with me a little bit, but there are some rough edges in Dark Souls that had me, like, clawing out my eyes. Like, when I wrote the original review for Dark Souls, and that was, you know, about a week after the game came out, I said there were some sections in this game that were, you know, were going from difficult but fair to, okay, this is frustrating and you're trolling me. Like, the archers and Orlando, everybody knows I'm going to bring that up. Uh, the giant skeletons in the dark area, Tomb of the Giants, like, immediately after a boss, which means that you need to go 20 minutes back if they kill you. There's some parts where Miyazaki is kind of, like, snickering at you. The Bed of Chaos, the worst boss in the Souls I, franchise. I don't disagree with you. I, I think more than that, though, those aren't necessarily them screwing with you. I feel like those are just, this was our first run at the Dark Souls formula where it's not just levels. Right. And so it was like we just didn't calculate that I just beat a boss. I shouldn't be fighting enemies that can one-shot me. I mean, you know, in certain cases that's fine, but I think Bloodborne is more balanced in that like the difficulty has a much smoother curve of up and down. Yeah, and and the there are moments that are really hard in this game, don't get me wrong. But there there came a moment and I think uh Kyle's actually getting pretty close to it where I kind of thought I had reached the uh, the blue dragon part from Demon Souls, where you just have to pray to God that the blue dragon doesn't annihilate you as you're working your way up to Boletaria Palace. Like, you just have to pray. It's just like, okay, uh, I spent 15 minutes getting here, and I just need to hope to God he doesn't kill me. I thought there was going to be a moment like that, and I was all ready to get pissed off. And then I realized that, no, I actually see like a measured way around this, that by paying attention, I can figure it out and work through it. So I think you're right. Like, they're... Their first couple passes at this type of game have resulted in a game that is very hard, very challenging, but also incredibly fair. With the exception of a couple boss attacks, Rom, I hate you. I hate you so much. You are the... Uh, I, would, I, I would say that, by and large, this game does not cheese you to death as much. No, there's it's a couple like, moments where it does, but overall it doesn't. Like, against the father, like, I was reading a lot of, like, commentary online about people that got there. I was like, basically, the... Father G is the real Bloodborne starts here. Yes. Because that's the first time in the game where they're like, no, 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 you're going to do this right or you're just going to die. Like, it's like, no, you are not going to get let him get close to you because he's going to shoot you, stun you, and then beat you to death. 
like, and then, you know, you, you master the first form's pattern and that, that second form of the boss is just like, if you are still trying to play it like Dark Souls at that point, you're dead. Yeah. I mean, his combos, his combos are designed around that. Yeah. Like his, like his main combo, if he hits you with it, it's a four hit combo that will kill you. Yeah. And it's actually, to me, Papa G, the second form is the Capper Demon done right. Like, you have plenty of room to move kind around. Of. Like, you have to be really situationally aware. But if you make a mistake, you're dead. Yeah, absolutely. Because, again, he has well, – what I like about that, and if you don't want spoilers, skip ahead like a minute or two here, listener. But, uh, you know, what I like about that is that they've taken the first half of the fight where you're like, yeah, I can put the tombstones between us and his bullets won't hit me. And I can, you know, I can attack him through the tombstone or, you know, I can circle around something and I will get the jump on him. And then they, they self-negate. They're like – Oh yeah, huh? You're gonna try that again? And he just smashes the tombstones down, knocks over the statue, kills the tree, and can teleport. <laughs> and it's like, no, no, now you're gonna fight me one on one, and I'm going to kill you if you don't kill me fast enough. For anyone who's having pr- problems on Papa G, I have two hints for you. One, look around the environment for an item that might help. And two, there is a stairway up to a landing to the right of where you come in the boss room. I fight him up there. I say screw it to those tombstones because I find myself tripping over them like a Call of Duty shooter where I'm running into something that's, like, shin high. I just fight them up there. Like, nice, open, like, plenty of room to get in there and attack them. Oh, see, I, I wanted I, – my entire – you know, you could say I was cheesing him, but that's fine. Uh, no, I was – my entire strategy involved – basically, I would, like, edge out from one of the tombstones as he attacked, shoot him, stun him, visceral attack him, and then get back behind the tombstone and whip him and then just repeat. And, and, you know, this ended up being my, uh, I've rated two games a 95 uh, for the site. One was Fallout 3, which I still think is, shut up, Uh, (laughs) the Fallout 3 Game of the Year edition is, that was a 95 for me. That's a game that I I still look back on as almost transcendent. It's just a fantastic experience, and I know I'm a little bit of an outlier on the site for that. But to me, Bloodborne is... Fallout 3 is great. I think Bloodborne elevates the Souls game in a lot of way. Like, it pared down some stuff. It's a little bit more focused. It's actually smaller than Dark Souls 2, and I think it's better for it. It, it, So many conscious decisions were made that I think it is a fantastic game. I mean, if Derek likes it, like Mike was saying, Derek likes it. That's saying something. No, because you're not a Souls guy. But this game however, to you. I think it's really important to note, though, that even though... This is different. It is still very much at its core a Souls game. Yes. It it yes. just it it has the same structure, but it does away with some of those stupid elements that I didn't like. And those those were the things that kept me from getting into it mostly. If you still hate the the core of Souls, like if you're not interested in the the style of combat and the difficulty level, um, at the general like sort of interface uh, design of the game, like you're not gonna like it. It's just it's it, hyper refined Souls. Yeah, it's. Exactly. It's hyper-refined. Thank you. But it's still a Souls game. Yeah, like, it, they, they call it Souls internally on the development team. Like, this is, it's very much a Souls game. Yeah, yeah. And I I had a fantastic time with it. I've been running Chalice Dungeons like crazy. Um, and I think that there's still some room for improvement. You know, yes, the loading times are really bad. But it's actually funny. I think Patrick Klepek did a little... Uh, Tiny, somebody did a tiny report on um, – now, maybe it wasn't Patrick Klepek, but somebody did a tiny report like asking video game developers like why are the Bloodborne loading times so bad? And what he actually said was like 
it seems like what they do is just completely reset the world when they come back to it in order to avoid the game breaking. Like a lot of these games by having so much streaming and, you know, we've seen new releases having significant problems by just reloading the entire area. They're making sure that everything's getting put back. I mean, the havoc physics are out of control in this game. Like you can knock over a set of books and they just go. I I love that. I love that. Like, they, there's a lot to the game. Like, the, the art design is also completely out of control. So, okay. yeah, the, the load times are bad, and they've said that they're going to work on that. Hopefully they will. Uh, I think the Chalice Dungeons could use a little bit of refinement. I think they're kind of stud- they're suffering from some Diablo 3 problems right now of, like, you know, you can play and play and play and not get any good blood gems, like, which are, are kind of important. Like, you hit a point in the game where the difficulty completely goes through the roof, and you need some strong blood gems, or you're going to have some trouble. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there, there's things that they can work on, but the core is great. The multiplayer is fun as hell. It is so much fun to fight these bosses multiplayer. And also, I think the bosses are so great because I was able to beat them on my own. Like, don't get me wrong, one of them beat me 20 times in a row, and I was yelling and screaming, but, like, I figured it out. I got it. I didn't have to completely change my character. I didn't sit there and go, wow, I really wish I had made a magic user because this fight would be really easy right now if I had. Like, No, I just had to buckle down, analyze the boss, and figure it out. And I, 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 a couple things I want to say here about the, the response to Bloodborne. I, I've been a little irritated with a couple things. One, and this is to help people who haven't played it or haven't gotten it very far in it to avoid spoilers – if you've somehow managed to miss and avoid kind of the story revelations for what's going on in Bloodborne, don't read any more reviews. Because the reviews actually manage to ruin story aspects of Bloodborne by using specific phrases or illusions. And that's a real shame. Because once you realize... I know, I know exactly what illusion you're talking about. Yeah. I've seen later in the game. and Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's it's amazing to me that they hid that for so long. Like, I think that's awesome. But a lot of reviews, by making an offhand comment, kind of give away some of the better story beats of the game. And I think that's really unfortunate. And also, like, I, I, I love how people are saying, like, oh, you just need to... It, like, there, there was a, a, a an article that was written, like, hey, people who say that you need to get good at Bloodborne, like, don't be such a troll. Oh, my God. Are you talking about the article where they were like, difficulty is not what makes these games good? I'm like, no, it's not. But these games are hard as hell. And if you don't accept no, but I mean, that, is, like. Is that the article that you were talking about, though? I think it was a Games Radar article where someone was like, oh, okay. don't be, a, don't be a dick about Dark Souls and Bloodborne. Like, stop telling people to get good. But the simple fact of the matter is, like, if the boss is kicking your ass, then you're doing something wrong. Like, you need to analyze them. You need to figure out... Like, I I mentioned it before. I was getting my ass handed to me by a boss because I was not paying attention. Like, I kept trying to smash my face on it, doing the same thing over and over again. I changed up my... And I changed up my tactics, and I got him. Like, it's old-school game design. Like, if Metal Man is beating your ass in the original Mega Man 2, first off, that's kind of funny because he's easy as hell. But, like, just figure it out take your time figure out what they're doing and you'll get there well yeah i i was actually referring to an article too where that talked about how the sort of elitism around these games is i think what drives some people away it's like oh get good it's all about difficulty and that that sort of critical attitude too that a lot of like uh reviewers have where they're like it's so hard it's so hard but like the difficulty is not what makes these games fun it is a component that 
makes the rest of it work well. But like just the the intelligent level design, the excellent weapon physics, like it, you know, there are so many things that make these games good that I would put the difficulty fairly low. Right, but I I think what it is for me is that it makes every encounter meaningful. So yes, I'm going to bring up the Resident Evil remake again. Like I got killed by a green hunter in that game, and I haven't had a regular enemy in a Resident Evil game kill me in like a decade. And I got sloppy, and I panicked, and the enemy got me, and I had to replay 10 minutes. But the reason why, like, my heart skipped a beat, and the reason why, like, my hands were shaking on some of the later boss battles in Bloodborne is because they are, like, so challenging. Notice I'm not saying difficult. I'm saying they're challenging, that that is what creates the sense of accomplishment. Like, you beat them, and you feel good. Yes, I agree with Steven. Like, it's not the only thing that matters, but if this game was a pushover, then it wouldn't matter how dark and foreboding the game is. It wouldn't feel like you're overcoming an obstacle. Yeah, I actually, I've been talking to my roommate a lot about this. I actually think Bloodborne is a survival horror game uh, in the traditional sense. Bloodborne makes you carefully consider your encounters. You're considering your resources. Uh, and what it does is it does what the remake does really well, too. Um, and that's that it puts enemies in front of you. That even though you don't want to, you have to get past them. Yep. That's yep. like you know you know the green hunter, you know the liquor is on the roof in the hallway in the police station, and you still have to run through that hallway. It makes you face that fear. You know that bridge that has the two werewolves. <laughs> <laughs> like you know you have to get past. But I don't wanna. I mean, those two were. What's funny is that those two werewolves you can easily avoid. Like, Steven was having trouble finding the shortcut, and he was getting really pissed off. There. Oh, my God. No. Uh, yeah, I th- I actually, like, and I'm, I have no shame in admitting. I called Rob. I was like, Rob, tell me where the goddamn shortcut is. I'm so angry. Because, like, it wasn't that I was dying on, like, <laughs> certain things. It was that I just kept getting, like, I would rush through the whole part. I played the first, like, 45 minutes of the game, like, three million times because I kept getting to, like, one spot and then dying. And then it's like, no, we hit the shortcut behind a barrel that you have to roll into. Which, you know, that's that's awesome. That's exploration. That's great. Uh, but it did sort of I, – I was at first I was like, ah! And it was great that I actually directed you over the phone because I'd played through that section so many times. Like, wow. And, and it was a fun game to play on my own. So, like, the other Souls games, <laughs> we always kind of we, – we got them the day they came out. So, like, I was playing them while the whole community was doing it. But this game, like, we had nothing. Like, I, I the, the community, we, we ended up having multiplayer – uh, like maybe Thursday after we got it on Wednesday, but like we were all at different spots. There was a period of time where like I was the point one percent that had beaten the game according to the trophies, and that felt really good. Like, oh yeah, that's always fun. We were figuring it out as we were going, and it it was really special to kind of like you know see these bosses that you know like you might be the first one to fight right now. Like, oh my god, like. It, it was just a really cool experience, and I, I agree with Steven. I think it is a survival horror game in a lot of ways. It, the, uh, like, in many, 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 many ways. Yeah, I mean, the, the encounters are super meaningful. The enemies are super dangerous, and they can kill you easily. Like, when you make a mistake in this game, you know it. And there, there are points where I start playing, and I'm getting my ass handed to me, and I just turn the game off. I'm like, I am not playing right. Like I am, I'm getting frustrated, and I'm, I'm making mistakes, and I'm, I'm not waiting for openings. I'm being stupid. And, you know, the, the thing is, too, uh, and Peter's lagging a little bit, so he had a question that I'm going to bring up next. But um, it, w- what gets it for me, too, is that the game is consistent. So, like, when I'm fighting the father, 
the moment I make a wrong move, I know I made a wrong move. Before he even hits me and kills me, I'm like, uh-oh, and then I get killed. And it's like you – like when a game can create that sense that quickly by the second boss where you know you've made the wrong action, that is a con- that that is a set of game physics that work the way they're supposed to. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's pretty excellent. Yeah, and actually, Rob, uh, I'm willing to co-op some of the areas, but I actually uh, – I, I personally like to fight all the bosses solo before I co-op them. Um, but we well, will play. My Chalice Dungeon character is 135, but I will gladly restart another character. Like, I just – I love playing this game. Like, I just – Yeah, no, it's playing. great. It, it's uh, so enjoyable. And so Peter asked, can we talk about whether or not this ties into another Souls game? I don't know. Um, As far as I can tell, and, you know, maybe I'm missing something here, no, which is very – very surprising. I'm actually starting to think that that Umbasa reveal from uh, the summer when the uh, the alpha was live, I'm starting to feel like that might have been faked. Uh, you know, going back and rewatching that video, I kind of am like, eh, maybe maybe somebody did. Yeah, do that, very... Go ahead, Peter. That's what I was going to ask about because I, I remember reading about that, and there was all this like wild speculation about like, oh, is it is it a successor to Demon Souls? Is is there a connection to the the old one or something? Yeah, it, it doesn't look like there is. I mean, there's maybe one illusion that I could kind of stretch to make, but no, that you don't have any characters saying Umbasa or anything like that, which I, I was a little upset about at first because I felt so clever, like, oh, it's definitely Demon Souls 2, ah, ha, ha, ha. But, like, and there's no jolly cooperation either. No, and, I, and um, it, it's funny because they, at first I didn't think there were hardly any NPC interactions, but they're just very well hidden in this game. Uh, yeah, definitely. They're very well hidden, and it, that's that's more of the stuff that just makes this, like, a a meaner, tighter experience. Like, it doesn't have the fluff. It doesn't have the BS that was in Dark Souls 2 and a little bit in Dark Souls 1. Like, this game just feels nice, tight. It knows what it is. It knows where its strengths are. And it's just... To me, this is the best PlayStation 4 exclusive right now, by far. Like, this this is a game you need to own. Well, like, I mean, what is it competing with for that title? Well, well it's that's competing true. with uh, another Blast game we're going to talk about, but <laughs> the order. <laughs> I, I I wouldn't consider the Last of Us a PS4 the, exclusive, the but that's a good deal for that game. You know what? One last thing about Bloodborne before we move on that I really like, and this is very simple. I love how absolutely ridiculous it is when you comment on a note and you could say, "This is a fine note," because I hear that <laughs> in the Darkest Dungeon voice. This is a fine note. <laughs> it's a can, fine note. They can be killed. They can be beaten. This is a fine note. That makes me want to play Darkest Dungeon. Uh, it's it's a really uh, Bloodborne's a really special game, and you know I, I don't think it's going to win over everybody. Like I'm super happy that Derek likes it, but I don't think that it's going to like if you didn't necessarily like the Souls games. I don't. I can't say for sure that this is going to win you over, but I think it's worth at least taking a look at. Yeah, you know, for sure. Like a if, try. If you've been turned off by them before, I would say at least just maybe try it. You know, don't don't blindly buy it just based on. What you've heard, I I did buy into the hype and I got it because I was riding the hype wave. But um, against my expectations, I've liked it quite a bit. But definitely be cautious. Yeah, I think uh, to to follow up on what Derek said, it depends on what you didn't like about Dark Souls. Whether exactly. Or not. Like, if you yeah. don't like the essence of Dark Souls, then you will not like this game. 
But if what you don't like about Dark Souls is the sort of turtly combat and that sort of thing, uh, then you should give this a shot. Yeah, I, I think you'll like it. it it's way more aggressive. It, it's just... Whew, it, it's kind of taken over my life a little bit. Like, I, I just want to keep playing. Like, I want to restart the game. I want to fight the bosses again. It's got a great sense of progression. I love the weapons. They're so unique and different. Like, whew. Oof, it's and and no one is surprised. I, but that's okay. But but you know, like after Dark Souls two, like and I gotta pat myself on the back there a little bit. Like I don't think I drank the Kool Aid on Dark Souls two, and you know some sites were giving that game higher scores than Dark Souls one, which I think is nuts. Like false. Like no. Like that no. that didn't happen. Like Dark Souls two mechanically worked pretty well in some places. But, uh, again, I'm going to steal this shamelessly from 8.4, but Dark Souls 2 was a reaction to what people didn't like about Dark Souls to make more people play it. I think and that's in, doing so, in doing so, they diluted the experience and made everybody like that's it less. Yeah. It, it's not that it was a bad game. It just it, – it, it had there, lost some of the magic. There's no sense of discovery. Like – in, in Dark Souls 2, because of a variety of factors, every individual moment didn't feel as significant to me. Like, I I basically got to the end of that game. I can't remember any of the levels. I remember Modula. Uh, but, like, I remember everything I've done in Bloodborne. I remember all the levels I played in Dark Souls 1. But just Dark Souls 2, it just doesn't stick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't well, stick. I'm glad. I don't. I'm glad people like it. I, I don't want to belabor the point anymore. We have a live stream. You have my review. Uh, that live stream is really funny too because I, I like yip and yelp the entire time I'm playing it because that's and the... you're uh, desperate not to die, so you actively refuse to change your weapon. Which is funny now because I'm I'm watching that video. Replacing bets on when he would, and he never did. I, I'm watching the video and I'm going, "Wow, I am really slow with that axe. Like, I wish I had my saw cleaver right now because that weapon is so fast." Like that weapon, is, that that saw cleaver is brutal up close. Like you can output so much damage so fast. Uh, can I make a request? Yes. Can we call this episode? This is a fine episode. This is a fine episode. I think we I think we can do that. I think I would I would, I would appreciate that. I mean, it's accurate. So. I, it definitely is the the damn it is. All right, so I want to get away from Bloodborne because it's just making me want to go upstairs. And, I I don't and, believe right. you when you say I want to get away from. No, Bloodborne. I I actually do. Like I I realized the other day, like I'd been binging so much on it. Like I kind of need like a day or two to relax. Like I've been playing it so much that I'm like, all right, you need to like read a book. Or Chill, bro. <laughs> you need to. I want to start Axiom Verge, and I just haven't. Like yes. it's there. I just. I need to play. So yeah. Derek's in Camp Axiom Verge, and uh, Stevens in Camp Ori in the Blind Forest. I guess. No, no, I'm not. I'm not anti Axiom Verge. I haven't played it. Uh, I want to. Uh, I just. What I said was, and I stand by this. Axiom Verge had better have incredible level design to even come close to touching Ori, because like merely being a Metroidvania. Like two years ago was enough because we didn't have any, but now there are enough that you have to you have to distinguish yourself. And I mean, people seem to like it, so I hope so. I'm going to play it. But Ori is an amazing, amazing game. I will pick it up on Steam sale. That's for yeah, sure. Same, same here. Yeah, I think Axiom Verge seems like a perfect Vita game to me. Just, yeah, uh, that's what I will. So like. when that release happens, I'm gonna, you know, look at my bills, look at my bank account, make some difficult decisions. Okay. So ignore all of them and buy it anyway. 
you know, I, I, eventually, yes, that's what's going to happen. But it is the question, the question is when. It is cross by with uh, with PlayStation Four, so like that's what I did because it was on like it was seventeen bucks instead of nineteen. I will say though, like I I was a little disappointed with Rogue Legacy on the Vita. Like it just it didn't look right, and I remember we we mentioned that on the podcast before. Huh. Like something just looked a little weird about it, and I I don't know what it was, but that I'm I'm hoping that doesn't happen with Axiom Verge. Guacamelee looks better on the Vita than the PS3, but um that, that's my. That's my only real comparison for a cross-buy game. Mm-hmm. All that and Sly Cooper, but that they look the same. Well, I, I guess the only other thing that I was doing was a little bit more Diablo 3 with the wife on a console. I, I just, I'm just really impressed with Diablo 3 on console, and that, that game is a hell of a lot of fun. I'm, I'm listening to, I mentioned before, I was listening to old uh, Giant Bomb uh, podcasts, and I actually got to the one in 2008 when Diablo 3 was revealed. And it's amazing how far that game has come. So, like, now that's only 30 bucks on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. That is totally worth it. That is a fantastic couch co-op game. Like, that should be a dorm room standard. Yeah, I, I admit, I would probably like it more if my characters synced between the two of them. Because uh, I just have so little interest in being like, hey, I'm Paragon level 222. Let me go ahead and start all over. It would be cool if they uh, if they did seasons on console. I think that would help a little bit, but it doesn't seem like yeah. that's what they want to focus on. Yeah, which, I mean, you know, they sort of have built the game differently, which makes sense. Yeah, but it's it's really... I love playing as the monk on console. I think I think he feels better on console. Like, that, that just visceral quality of the melee characters feels better. Yeah, melee feels great on console. Does it right. almost feel like an arcade beat-em-up or something that way? Because I've only it played Diablo 3 does, on... does, yeah. I've only played it on PC, and... It, it was fine. I played it before it got good. So I, I just, I've always I been tempted by picking up the upgrade, but never did. I just don't like the way the melee characters feel with the clicking. Like, that, that's that been that's been a personal thing. Like, I always like the spellcasters or the ranged characters more in Diablo. But what they did, like, with the console version, like, the monk feels almost like a like a fighting game. Like, you hit triangle to hit him with the, the exploding palm, and then, like, you, you hit him twice with your spirit generator, and they explode. It, it's really cool. Like I don't know. I think the melee. I like playing as the melee characters better than the casters in uh, what you call it in in Diablo three on console. Like I, I don't have as much fun with my witch doctor. That makes sense. Yeah, the controller. WD. Sort of like managing space is a little bit weirder on a console, but melee feels really solid and good. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So I can see. I can understand that. I guess. All right. Let's move. So- Let's get. So let's move away from that. Let's talk about a game I reviewed. Yeah, you uh, you really like Type Zero, except for the localization, apparently. So yeah, uh, you know, I'm very interested in how Type Zero has been received because it's actually very in line with what I was expecting, which is that this is a good game. Uh, Not everything works perfectly, but it's so weird and experimental in some ways, and does crazy things that I ended up really enjoying it. And for me, the core combat is just fantastic. what? Uh, let me start off with the bad. Square Enix has to fire their localization team, whoever it is, because it's not the <laughs> excellent people who did Final Fantasy XII. It's it's not debatable. Alexander Smith. Debatable. That's not debatable. Final Fantasy XII is an no. excellent localization. Did they yeah. even finish Final Fantasy XII? <laughs> oh, Square Enix didn't, but the localization team did. <laughs> I'm, 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 Agreed. Okay. I'm um, sorry. I'm but, sorry. But, I'm on, on Steven's side. 
holla. But so what it comes down to is that the writing is terrible in English. Yeah. Everybody is everybody is miscast. It's clear they didn't have an English-speaking voice director. And if they did, that director didn't give any direction because half the time it's, it's so obvious. Let, let me give a counterexample. Xenoblade has really good English voice acting. They Ooh. sound like they're actually – like they're not in the same room when they recorded, but they make it seem like they did. Like you can tell that they understood the context of what was happening. So like when Shulk is screaming about killing Metal Face or going crazy, they have impact. In Type Zero, it's like, Rem, are you OK? Ha ha ha. Yeah, I'm OK. Why would you think I'm not OK? Ha ha. Yeah, Machina, stop being such a wary wart. And like, did, did, like uh, quick least... question: Did Tommy Wiseau direct the voice localization <laughs> for this game? No, it'd be, it'd be more some... entertaining. Oh, oh hi Machina. Yeah. Oh hi Machina. I can't talk about it anyway, Ram. How's your How's your phantom life? But you know, it's just it's appallingly bad. Like, because the translation is fine in and of itself. Like the, the menus and stuff, like the lore and stuff is written fine, right. but the dialogue is atrocious. I think, I think the script is just flat out bad, and having it poorly directed in terms of English voice acting doesn't help. But also keep in mind, like I don't think the Japanese voice acting is very good either. Like some of the characters are just terrible. Like Sync is awful. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 it's 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 better in Japanese, but in that's relative, right? Uh, and the problem is that you have this really interesting story that is sort of yeah. hamstrung by that dialogue and that doofus Saturday morning terrible shonen anime writing. Like, it's just awful. And, uh, you know, for me, a part of it, too, is that when you hire Steve Bloom and make him sound like he's wasting his time, you have made a mistake. Well, like, this is not the fault of the actors. This is the fault of everybody on the team being miscast and then not getting any direction. Well, to, to, two thoughts come to mind here. The, the first is, like, how do I, how do I say this? We, we've made it... How do I say this? It's not Bloodborne, <laughs> no. but it could be Bloodborne. Shut up. It, it, we've talked about this before. Like, you have a lot of the same voice actors with the original Metal Gear Solid doing Metal Gear Solid 2, which doesn't sound nearly as good, because they just did a direct... Japanese to English translation, and you have a lot of native English speakers saying things that don't sound really appropriate as a result. So okay, so go ahead. So, sorry, sorry. Uh, I was going to say exactly that, and I, I touched zero. on that in my review. The problem with Type Zero is that, and that even in Episode Duske to a little bit too, uh, although that one's not as bad, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, the problem is that it's very clear they tried to be literal. And that doesn't work. Like, even when the characters are gesticulating, which they have a limited number because it's a PSP game, so the animations are sort of tight. You know, there's only a few of them. But it's like they will gesticulate, and I know what they're saying in Japanese, partially because I have the Japanese dialogue on. But in English, it just looks like they're, like, oddly pacing their statement and saying weird things. It's sort of like how everybody in Final Fantasy X is like, yeah, man, we're going to win the game, you know? I'm Seymour, you know? Like, everybody is saying, you know... And it doesn't. It's not. It doesn't work in English like that. Like that. It's not a one-to-one com- comparison. And so that makes it, on top of being badly acted and badly written, it's also awkwardly translated in so many spots. Which yeah. is a shame because there's a lot of, like you said, incredibly good lore happening, and like the overarching story is cool. 
it's just presented so poorly in the character interactions. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, and I, I want to chalk part of it up to, hey, this was Tabatha's first, or first major Final Fantasy release. Uh, and, you know, they, they were experimental, so they probably didn't have as much budget. It was a PSP game, you know. Maybe those are all the reasons that's why it's sort of hammy. Um, but the fact of the matter is that, you know, like, I look at Dissidia. Dissidia, you don't hold that up to a standard of writing because it's a fighting game. But the voice acting and localization that is just as weird and awkward. And so Square has this trend with so many of their main Final Fantasy games right now where they are translating it weirdly, voicing it weirdly. And it's not like Final Fantasy 7, 8, 9 where there's no voice acting. So you can just sort of be like, yeah, all right, whatever. Now that it's voice acted, that weirdness is so much more apparent. And it, it you know, you can say all you want, oh, graphics is sound, you, know, you shouldn't break good gameplay. No, they do, especially when you're trying to tell a serious story like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree it's with that. Hey, can you imagine if, like, The Last of Us had bad voice acting? Like, it would kill it. Like, like, and that's a game that has acting in it too. So, like, imagine if The Last of Us had goofy gestures because they didn't actually mocap and awkward voice acting, but the exact same gameplay. It would crush that game. Yeah, I mean, bad voice acting can kind of annihilate it, but like. <sighs> I guess the question is, can Square? Do you think Square Enix like this is an outlier, or is this a problem that's going to continue to happen? They have different teams, and that's what's weird because the localization team on fourteen is excellent. The voice acting in that game kind of sucks too, but that's because clearly they didn't spend very much money on it. Um, but like the writing in fourteen and dialogue are much better realized, right? Um, and you know. Episode Duske, well, you know, to, to briefly talk about that, we won't get into it yet, but uh, that showcases a lot of the same weird Japanese speech uh, mannerisms. But yeah. Duske feels more like they understood what they were doing. Like, it feels more like the actors understood, with the exception of Prompto, who apparently I'm actually the outlier on. But, uh, you know, like, they have sort of banter in that that feels more natural. And that's, nothing feels natural in Type Zero's English localization. Actually, I want to know what Peter thinks of this because I think Peter um, has put a lot of time into the game, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm on Chapter Seven right now. I'm, I'm actually um, I have almost all the trophies in the game. I've, I've the only ones I'm missing right now are the last couple of chapters, so it's going to be my first platinum, and I'm, I'm nice. kind of excited for that. Oh, cool! Good for I you. I noticed the trophies are kind of in the early game. They're pretty easy they, to get. They just kind of throw them at you. They are all really easy to get. Like I got like six in one mission they're compensating for the fact that you have to beat kingdom hearts 1.5 three times to get the difficulty trophies oh yeah, and nobody yeah. will actually do that except for you so did you do that uh, steven i'm gonna i'm gonna replay 1.5 for the third time soon so you're all the only nuts. the only trophies i didn't get were the difficulty ones because i beat it on proud mode and then it's like wait i didn't unlock normal and easy you want me to play through the game on beginner like what yeah that's ridiculous. like I, like, and, you know, they rectified that in, in 2.5. Like, so it was clearly just a dumb oversight, but, like, seriously. I, I think I'm going to turn trophy notifications off on the PlayStation 4 because, like, I have one trophy left to get in Bloodborne, and I'm going to get it, like, because it's a boss that I haven't fought yet. And I know, in, like, 100 hours with that game, there's still a boss I have not fought. And I'm going to platinum it, but... Seems like they're good at hiding things. They, they really hid this one pretty deep. Uh, so the last enemy that shall be conquered is death. Something like that, but like I don't know. I I hate that completion. And what do we say to the god of death? 
We not welcome today, him. Satan. Not today. I forget. No, we we greet him as an old friend. So I, Robert wouldn't stop for uh, that. Yes. I have no idea what you guys are referencing right now. I'm just Harry, Emily Dickinson. Okay. Harry Potter. Whatever. Are referencing RuPaul's Drag Race. I was referencing Red Dwarf over here. So. We are all over the map. <laughs> so clearly we are not syncing up in multiple ways today. So Okay. Uh, um, but yeah, I, I just don't like that completionist like side of me. Like That's, that's one reason I really like... Yeah. Uh, okay, somebody's going to get mad at me for mentioning Steam, but like I don't give a crap about Steam achievements. Like, at all. Do not no, care. No, at all. What's <laughs> funny, too, is Pillars of Eternity has a backer achievement. Like... Mm. Like you can only get that achievement if you're a backer, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like that's that awful. has to make some people furious. Ouch. Well, what's funny is that I backed the game, but then I got it for review, so I gave my backer code to a friend. So he's got all my backer stuff, including a, an achievement. And I'm like, wait a minute. So they're just gonna leave this backer achievement on my screen forever because I can't get it. They hate. <laughs> I'm like, that's. I, and again, I don't care about achievements so much on Steam, but it's like that's sort of boneheaded for a game that is otherwise not boneheaded, but. But overall, with the exception of the horrid voice acting and script, I was going to talk to say oh. something about um, Titan Zero's localization, if that's okay. Go ahead, sure. Peter. Go ahead. Um. Yeah. Uh, well, I was talking with my roommate about what we mentioned earlier because we were both looking forward to Type Zero, and um, he, he, I meant, and we were just wrapping up Attack on Titan. Uh, we watched uh this, this this is leading somewhere, I promise. We watched the uh, uh, Attack on Titan marathon on, on Adult Swim, so it was from from midnight to six in the morning, all of the first half of Attack on Titan, which is the good part of Attack on Titan. Yeah, going pretty on. much. <laughs> but when so we, we wow, finished that, and it was, it was our first time watching it. Type Type Zero suffers from very basic anime dub problems. Like yeah. it has all the same problems of like a really quick anime job. That's exactly he's exactly right. It, it was clearly a rush job. Uh, you know, it was we got to get this out. And that, you know, in some universe, I agree with that. And even maybe before the game came out, I would have said I'd rather them rush it than get it out. But at this point, it's like if you come this long to do it, why don't you just do it like do it right? Uh, but, you know, it's clear that Type Zero was a low budget effort uh, overall. But again, you know, it's it's an interesting game. And it's worth there's, playing. There's some really weird. There's some really weird parts. Like, I was saying, there's some really weird things that happen too in the localization. Like, um, you know, the, the zero, the bump a chicken song. Yeah. Um, there's a part later in the game where um, and the, not this isn't too. This isn't really that big a spoiler. Um, where someone starts singing that song, but in English, in the English dub, they redid the entire song to the same tune as the Japanese version, but with English lyrics, and it sounds really forced. Oh, so like fishy fun. Exactly, yeah, just like that. Oof. Oh, dear <laughs> God. You know what, just a, a side note. Back. I, uh, I always laugh because when you speak to that character in the game, sometimes he will quote that song and he'll give you like the message of, recording is blocked because you entered a blocked scene. For, yeah, like, it's the only time I've ever seen that happen. Yeah, it happens for like one line of text box because the the I guess the lyrics are licensed. Yeah, uh, that's so. actually it. Uh, it does not appear on the Type Zero HD soundtrack release. Um, yeah, it's you know this is but again this is also the reason it didn't come out to begin with. So this is the case where I would say we should sort of be happy with what we got because it's clear they went through some weird legal hurdles to do this. I am willing to bet you yeah. that type that Type One 
will not I have really the enjoying... license song. I mean, yeah. Yeah, probably not. I, I, I'm I'm really enjoy, I'm really enjoying the game. I'm, like I said, I'm I'm almost I'm almost done with it. Um, it's very clearly a PSP game in a lot of parts, and I do have some trouble with the the timing aspects of the combat system. Just, but uh, uh, like overall, I, I'm really enjoying it. Well, yeah, talk a, a little bit about the combat, Stephen. Like, let's let's get away from bad localization and focus on like the core game. Like, what do you think of it? So it's interesting now that we've talked about Bloodborne because melee combat is sort of, I, in my opinion, the best melee combat in any RPG action RPG is the Soul series. Um, but I'm so you have that, but okay. With we'll we'll discuss that later. I would say with what, but um, we should discuss that. Uh, that's a good topic. We should talk about that. Um, so the number one thing I like about Type Zero's combat, other than that, it has this ca- large cast who all play sort of differently, and my roommate compared it to a MOBA, where you mm-hmm. have all these characters with a different mechanic. So none of them are inherently better or worse than the other. They all just have a different mechanic. So you find a mechanic you like, and then you play with that character. It's very little of, oh, I like him because he uses a sword, and I just slash stuff with the sword. It's like, no, they all play drastically differently. Like, you have a character who plays a flute, and at first she seems useless, but she can absolutely wreck stuff. You know, you have the character with a really slow hammer, which is so slow that you can get killed. But if you hit with it, you're uh, you're almost always going to get an instant kill. That yeah, that makes uh. it sound like a Monster Hunter clone because uh, those games all will have ten plus weapons, and each weapon is so different that it becomes key to how you approach the game. Yeah, uh, and so because you use multiple characters, you learn their their weapon mechanics. And the it biggest is- thing, the biggest success in the battle system for me is the kill site because. What it essentially does is it punishes you actively for just spamming buttons. Like, you could do it, and if you over-level, you can, but even at max level, there are enemies that can just smite you because you have to play smart. Like, you have to – so what this is, uh, and I talked about this before, when you're targeting an enemy right before they attack, uh, you'll get, like, a flash, and the, the reticle will turn red or yellow. And if you hit them at that exact moment, you do a ton of damage and knock them out of their attack. So it encourages you to watch your enemies and sort of pay close attention. And like as an example, my favorite character to play as uh, – oh my god, I forgot his, I forgot his name. My favorite guitar- character, I don't remember who it is. The guy with the katana. Well, it's not because of his personality because yeah. his, his yeah. voice actor is awful. Uh, Jack, um, he moves really – he can only take like tiny little quick steps when he has his weapon out. So like literally you have to sprint everywhere. Um, but his attack is almost instant. And basically if you play as him carefully, you're like an actual like quick draw samurai, like Himura Kenshin style where like an enemy will come up at you and the moment he attacks, you're like, and he's dead. And so like I would go into fights with like 10 dudes and they'd all rush me and I'd be like, and they'd all just instantly die. Um, so the combination of kill sight and the combat mechanics makes it really cool. You know, something that, that Mike mentioned that I think is very interesting is I wonder if this is kind yeah. of a trend. Like with Monster Hunter, Bloodborne, and Type-0, you're finding it's it's either characters or weapon types that make combat play completely differently. <clears throat> and I wonder if that's like something like a trend that's catching on because I think that's very fascinating. And I, I Because Monster Hunter, for somebody who plays Gunner, is completely different from Monster Hunter... Uh, completely different from monster hunter for a person who's using like switch axe yeah. and it's the same yeah, thing for I, Zero. I absolutely agree and I, I actually think it's an evolution of the action rpg in general and sort of the action game in general because you saw this back in the day with like devil may cry like every weapon yeah. plays different well uh, sort know, of in, 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 devil may cry, in devil may cry 2 which is 
Well, well um, all the we weapons are the same, but yeah, but th that one's just—I mean, all the weapons are basically the same, except with different ranges and speeds, and that was part of why that game was awful. And part of why oh, Devil May Cry Three was great was because it had five weapons that felt totally different from one another. Yeah, and, every like, and everyone had their favorite weapon that played that game. So, uh, the Rudra and uh, or the or the ice or the Cerberus nunchucks, but yeah, or no, the uh, I, I was. I was a rebellion in one hand and the electric purple bat guitar in the other hand. Okay, yeah, that oh, was a cool weapon. I love too. that weapon. Uh, yeah. That was an awesome weapon. <laughs> yes. But yeah, no, for me, I sort of see it as the evolution of combat of real-time combat in these types of games because like look at Skyrim and again, I always pick on Skyrim, but it's so full of things that I don't like in game design. Um you mean the game where you p defeat every enemy by clicking on it? <laughs> well, sort of what it comes down to is like look at like Skyrim or DMC2. What are the functional differences between weapons? Nothing. It's what color do you want to kill the bad guy with? Why is DMC3 so good? Because every weapon has a different set of mechanics that you can master and get satisfaction from. What does Bloodborne have? Rob and I play completely different kinds of weapons because it's the type of – like how do you want to play your character? So for me, it's like I love that action RPGs are sort of getting more towards the – Every weapon isn't just a number upgrade where you can, you know, it, it doesn't matter which one you're using. It's this is going to change how you approach this game. And I feel like that's why Bloodborne, despite having fewer weapons, I think has better weapon variety than Dark Souls. Because Dark Souls has more weapons, but a lot of them sort of boil down to I'm either going to poke you, I'm going to slash you, or I'm going to smash you. That's how it ends up for me every night at the end of a date. Holla! <laughs> awesome. In the case of Type Zero, you end up with 14 different playable characters, and they all have something that makes them really unique. Like I, I'm usually, I, I, I've been playing a lot as um as Ace recently lately, and I really like his play style. Is he's really quick. He can he's he, he has this awesome teleport dodge. Um, he has this ability where he can throw a he throw he, he fights with a deck of cards. He throws a card at an enemy, then teleports to where the enemy is and does a crap load of damage. Oh yeah, I love that one. I also but, love his his set that uh, lets you rebuild your MP because you can sort of build him as a caster that way. Yeah, exactly. And then yeah, and then but then he plays the other character like other characters like I also like um, the the girl with the scythe for example plays totally differently because she has a little bit of cease. Is that it? Sice. I don't know. I, I, I say sice because it sounds cute. That's true. But, um, but she has like a bit of a wind up on her attacks and she gets, um, the more, the more, da the more hits she manages to land, the more like damage she'll do. So that, so you have to kind of like, you have to time her attacks really well because she has such a wide arc with her attacks that she can miss if you're playing sloppily. Yeah. And, that actually ties into another thing that I like a lot about the game, and that's that uh, even within each character, they have enough, uh, enough selection of abilities because you can level up, you know, A, you can give them magic, and you, you basically can fill the face buttons with attacks. And so, like, you know, you could play one character as, you know, yeah. a shot killer, or you could give them different abilities, and they play drastically differently. So it's like even within each character you have customization to how you want that play style to work um and so that's to me the game's biggest success is the excellent combat system and then all the other weird stuff it does but like yeah it, like jack and, is and awesome. the music music is good oh yeah yes music is fantastic uh, in that game oh yes uh it, it has a really interesting and diverse score and stop me now or this will go on forever uh 
that just it feels uh, yes it's good okay you can't just <laughs> finish your sentence finish your thought it's good uh well what I, one of the things i like is that it does not recycle a lot of tracks in the story missions uh you know in the in the in the sort of off missions it's like yeah you have sort of whatever song plays in this type of environment but in the story missions there's just so many different battle themes uh that it, it makes it feel really exciting and depending on your performance the missions change too so it's like that's totally not on the subject of music but i wanted to point that out it's cool mm, yeah like if you're slow there's an early mission where you have to breach a fortress yeah and if you are slow you have to fight it like you, the other squad gets beaten and you have to fight a golem and it's nuts or just but run like away. yeah or just run away whereas if you're quick you take a totally different route in and you know the, the mission plays out differently. So uh, you know it's it's so full of these interesting ideas. Uh, you know, and again, not all of them are executed perfectly, and it's sort of weirdly balanced. Like, I, did, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's for example the sewer mission. If you're slow in the sewer mission, uh, uh, it can play out differently. If I recall, I think that's one of them. Not every mission, but missions where they are telling you to be quick. Odds are good that you will have to approach it differently if you're not quick. Yeah, is that, is that the a, only? I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, there's at least one mission that I remember um, seeing the. Ooh, somebody's typing loud. I remember seeing the. Uh, like, there's like your C, not CEO, but your assistant type people are giving you information as you go through the mission. And there's one where they're like, "You better hurry up. The second squad is gonna get overtaken." And then I remember seeing like, "Oh no, this the squad was overtaken." Like that's very clearly spelled out, and I assumed that that was because I actually didn't go fast enough, but I didn't know how it was actually going to change anything. So it's some of them, some of them, it happens no matter what other times it's because you weren't fast enough or, you know, you didn't approach something the right way. So it's, it's very cool in that design. Like the story missions are really well designed. Most of them, some of them are done. So that, that kind of dynamic mission design that changes depending on approach is pretty fascinating to me, but is, the only real determining factor how quickly you reach certain goals or are there other things that can change how a mission plays out? Um, I, I think it's just that like there's the, the missions are fairly linear for the most part. Like Steven said, um, I think speed is pretty much the only factor that changes how it plays out. Like there's an early mission where you have to hit switches to progress, but I don't think that you can not hit all the switches. Um, yeah, like like you have to hit all the switches. Um, I think there are one or two where things can play out differently, and then there are some where it's like you know you'll be in a boss battle. What you know what's funny though is that this Type Zero has more compulsory lost boss battles than I can recall a game having in a long yeah, time. Yeah, it, it has several. Like, and they don't make you think that they are. Like, there's one in particular, and I'm sure Derek and Peter both know which one I'm talking about, where this dude is like wrecking you for an entire mission. Like he just shows up and kills people. Then you have to actually fight him at the end of the mission, and they make you feel like you have to win. Like, if everyone dies, they, like, basically give you the same sequence as if you get a game over, and then the story continues. Yep. That's happened, I think, twice now. That's also, one of my... There are more... Sorry, I was going to say, there, there, are, there are more supposed-to-lose fights in Type-0 than I've seen in, like, any other RPG. There's, it's happened to me at least, like, four times. I always, I always have those moments where, like, I get my butt kicked in a boss battle because maybe it's, like, way harder than what I've been fighting before. And I have those moments when playing a traditional RPG where I go, am I supposed to lose that? And I see the game over and I go, ah, damn it. <laughs> like, ah. Uh... Final Fantasy IV got that 
like a kernel in my mind. Maybe I'm supposed to lose this boss fight whenever I'm really struggling. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it got to the point in in Type Zero. There's a mission I just did. With, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give it away. But you have this like dude in armor with this massive great sword who's uh, yeah. thir- thirty levels higher than you, and you're just like. Well, I'm not even going to... I mean, I can try to win this, but I don't know if, I, if I'm going to be able to do this. <laughs> yeah, The game has a really great battle on the Big Bridge remix. It does. That's exactly Ooh, where I am. That it does. That it does. I should look into that. And I'm not going to spoil anything, but it takes place on a big bridge. No way. That is quite literally called the Big Bridge. It is called the Big Bridge. Speaking of of localization quirks, the battle for Big Bridge won the Dominion of Rubrum the day. (laughs) (laughs) I I will give them that one because I feel like that's an intentional Spoonie Bard moment. So overall, it sounds like everybody's high on Type Zero. Okay, yeah, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Were were you guys like... I'm not, actually, but okay. Oh, Derek, go ahead. No, I just I think that um, the combat is fantastic, and I agree with most of the points that you guys have brought up about it. But I think that the the wonkiness of the character interactions drag it down so much for me. And that it's that like I, I I'm not uh, gripped by any of the characterizations so much. Like Machina and Rem are the two most developed characters, at least as far as I played in the game, and they're fine. But everybody else is just kind of like personalities that spout off one-liners at different points in the game, and I'm not getting. Human, I'm not getting humanity from them really, and They're perhaps that will change shows. later. Yeah, and that that bugs me because I expected a little bit more. But there's that, and I think what's actually putting me off the most is I find the free time between missions very tedious. Um, because oh, really? You, yeah, because you like I I just don't care. I don't think that the side yeah. quests are compelling in any way because again, I'm not interested in the characterizations, so I don't care that much about learning more about each of them. And I guess that's kind of counterintuitive because. If I were to take upon their quests, perhaps I would learn more about them and care more about them. But I don't. I'm just not. I'm not super. Well, into most the side of the quests quest. in Type Zero. Most of the quests in Type Zero, I find between in those little side missions, are are those kinds of like kill X amount of things or collect yeah. X amount of things. And there's one. This is this happens late game. There's one really interesting side quest. In, in Type Zero HD, that gets you something really cool. Um, can, can I can I talk about that? Is is that is that? Do, do you know what I'm talking about, Stephen? Uh, well, it depends on which one you're talking about. If you're talking about the uh, the, the Ark of Agito. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. That entirely optional thing that is actually fairly good. Um, I would okay, say. Yeah, can I talk about that? I would say try not to spoil too spoil? much about it. I. Eh. I would. Eh, I don't know. It might be. A little I would. Too, too soon. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go for. It. I've recently been called a spoiler lich, so uh, I'm not going to make any judgment calls. Oh, on spoiler or lich. Wow. Yeah, I, I thrive off spoilers, I guess, but I, I'm not going to make a call on that. You do. I, okay, guys. So Final Final Fantasy Type Zero, ha- there's an airship in the game, and. It's really cool. Like when when you get it, it's really it's really fun. There's this whole like little mini game you unlock where you can like fly around the world. It makes travel much easier. But in order to get the airship, you need to do it's hidden behind one of those kill X amount of things quests with no indication that you have basically the coolest hidden extra in the game. 
<laughs> oh. Actually, yeah, that's it's interesting. Type Zero has a lot of gated, side quested, m- major mechanics. Like you know, there's a you get a uh, if I recall the summoning ability that all three that your characters can use uh, as an alternative to an Idolin. Uh, uh, what are things they call? I don't know what they call it in English, but the like Ver- the, the Vermilion Bird. Yeah, the Vermilion Bird. That's optional, I think. Um, most of the Eidolons are optional. Like, they're hidden behind those, like, expert quests or whatever. Yeah, like, and it's funny, too, because, like, I finished an expert quest. I was, like, level 11, and I did the level 36 one. And they are so difficult that I would not advise people do them unless they are completionists. Yes. Um, but, like, they're a pain, but then you or, beat or it. Or if you're on your, your second playthrough. But. Yeah, like, I beat it, and I got a level 56 Eidolon who was good for, like, half the game. Yeah. Um, so it's it's cool because it makes doing those side quests. I mean, to me, that's sort of the impetus for me. Because I agree, Derek. I feel like these sort of narrative parts are hamstrung again by the dumb localization and sort of the the, the weird characterization. Um, but for me, I actually really like the in between time because it's like, yeah, you could go do a tactical battle and you know unlock more world map in another town, or you could you know go do an expert mission and unlock some ungodly powerful thing. So it's you know, I I love that they were not afraid to gate content in that game and be like, yeah, if you didn't do this side quest, you're not going to see this. Because if you don't go to the offshore research lab in Final Fantasy VIII, you're not going to get eaten. Spoilers. Yeah. Spoilers. Just to, to close out the final point that I was going to make right. um, <laughs> is just that uh, I think that – so the side quests weren't really gripping me. And, yes, I am, I'm being a little bit hard on it. But I don't like the setup of the of the academy where you hang out. I think that it's really, really tedious to have to run yes, from the classroom to the world map, and then from you enter, you re-enter from the world map, and you have to run all the way to your classroom. It's like three or four loading screens. Yeah, I, it's just, I, it's it's so dumb. And there's a portal in the middle of the academy that lets you get to a fast travel to a couple locations that you can't get to. I mean, you have to use the portal. But like, why make a fast travel portal? if you're going to limit it to one spot and give it branches to a couple different areas, but like, it just kind of, it seems like incredibly wasted potential. Like, Oh, here's, here's something that I could use to teleport around, but I can't. I actually feel, I agree with that completely. I actually feel like what that game should have had is you pop open the menu and on that little map of all the rooms, you should just be able to select a room and go to it. Yeah, I agree with that. And that it just, that makes me really angry. And I, I find myself not wanting to play the game mostly because of that because i'm at a point where i have like eight days of free time in between my missions and it's just like i just want to skip it i don't even care i i don't want to run back and forth from the classroom to the world map and so on and so forth while i take down all these quests that just say go kill 10 slimes with fire magic like that's just not compelling to me and and unlike i know that we had this conversation before um steven you were talking about how those kinds of quests are okay for you in Xenoblade because you care about the characters and you care about building them up. And I yes. don't feel that I don't feel that connection with Type Zero's cast. I like the way they play, sure, but I don't feel very invested in getting them new abilities and like seeing how they interact with one another out in the field. So that's that's why I'm not super into it. Uh, that I would I will agree with that. I think Type Zero has a weaker cast because again they sort of are all just like I mean it's your typical. We made an anime with 14 characters so we can sell you 14 action figures and 14 t-shirts with their cute faces and they're all tropes. There's the Moe and there's the Baka and there's the crazy one and the cute one and the one who is tiny but yet wields a 900-pound hammer. Like, you know, the the cast is not the strong point. I agree with you completely on that, Derek. I think all of your (laughs) criticisms are very fair. 
Um, and I could see how that would sort of pull the game down for people. And that's sort of what I mean when I say that some parts of the game just aren't as successful as others. For me, the combat got me through it. Um, but if, yeah. if, if, if you – like, again, the reason this is not in the same league as Xenoblade is because in Xenoblade – Every inch of that game is permeated with your characters, their personalities, and their interactions. Yeah, and for I know that my my criticism <clears throat> criticisms are on the heavy side, but I think that those are the kinds of things that anybody anybody who has levied complaints against the game tends to complain about those particular things that I pointed out. But how much that bothers you, that your mileage will vary on that. And the combat is great, but I'm not. It doesn't lift the entire experience up enough for me. Like, I still think the game is, I don't know, like a six. But I thought it was going to be a nine because I was super hyped for it. And yeah, I actually, I, I think a lot of the issues with it also stem, again, from it being a formerly PSP title. Because that's why, like, the battles are so quick. The areas are small. I really feel yeah. like if they... Uh, if they make get to make a, a console sequel, which I'm, I would be unsurprised if it's not a console game, uh, they will have more facility to sort of iron out those weirdness, like running from one place to the other. Like you know, I think those that sort of stuff will get ironed out. I, I wonder if, like, yeah, like you said, it, it was it's it has its roots as a, it's it's originally a PSP game, and it shows in a lot of ways. I wonder if the fact that we're getting it so many years later as an HD release is part of the reason why, like our expect, our, did our expectations go up? I, I think or, my, uh. the, if my expectations went up in any way, it's just in them not taking the time to eliminate the tedious things like fast travel, like lack of it, fast travel. That's fair. That's fair enough. Yeah. I mean, what it boils down to is this is basically a, a very roughly spit shine PSP port. Yeah. Like, Oh my the, god! And HDification does not really look that good. And the oh my god, blur. the motion blur. The motion blur. Oh, okay. That's like, that's like the thing that, I hate the most. That should have been a toggle, because it's motion. obvious why it's there. It's there. The motion blur. Yeah, the motion blur is there to hide the fact that the game is sort of butt ugly. Uh -huh. uh -huh. uh -huh. uh, and no. and you know one thing, and I, I hate to again harp on it again, but another thing that bothers me, in the and I, I'm almost positive I'm correct on this. In the PSP version, the main hall of the Academy, the, the gears, the cogs in the background, they were three-dimensional animated objects that rotated. And in the new version, they are a flat texture that does nothing. Uh, and that, to me, and maybe I'm remembering incorrectly, but I played the PSP version twice. Um, I feel like that is indicative of the level of care that went into this thing. They were like, well, we don't want to fix the animation on it, so let's just make it flat. I mean, we, we've seen some pretty rough, it, it's the era of HD remasters right now, and we've seen some pretty rough ones, you know, I, I know we, we talked about it, it's great to have the GameCube Resident Evil game, but that thing looks pretty rocky in places, and some of those backgrounds, they, they look kind of assy. Final Fantasy HD, Type-Zero HD, you know, it's got some rough patches. And then you have other HD remasters that are absolutely incredible. Like, uh, you know, we're, we're probably going to get an Uncharted announcement here in a couple oh of days. God, yes. I know. That's great. You guys can play subpar action games, whatever. 60 frames uh, per second. Screw you, man. I said it. Yeah, you I know what? It. You go ahead and take your hate of Drake and go play something <laughs> but like yeah. the last but the last of us did a really good job of going to 60 frames a second and kind of fixing up the textures a little bit so i i think 
all but man, all of those PSP to HD ports, like the two God of War ones and Monster oh, Hunter man. Freedom Third, and uh, and the uh, the Grand Theft Auto Stories games, those all looked like ass moving to the PS2 or PS3 or PS4 Did- in case of Type Zero. So it's uh, it's it's because the starting point is the PSP, and that wasn't a great starting point. Right, but yeah, but- I mean, I forgive those things, but I feel like. The name HD is very liberally used. Yeah, and I, I think the companies are getting... You could make the argument we're getting a little lazy here. I think some of these... It, it's time to start releasing new games. Uh, you know, I'm... Agreed. We're, we're about ready to move into news, because I think we'll kind of save uh, Pillars of Eternity for later, because I know Steven wants to talk a lot about that, and I'm still playing Bloodborne, so I don't want him to get me too excited about it right now. Uh, yeah, I, I think we should also talk about episode Dusky... Uh, next time too yeah we'll we'll, we'll do another episode soon um but i i think as we get ready to transition to news like we got some exciting game announcements this week that are kind of like hey new stuff is coming out that isn't just playstation 4 playstation 3 xbox 360 xbox one like no this is just the next gen title we're ready to do it and i I think developers wanted to get things out quickly on these new consoles. I mean, it always takes time for them to build new engines and figure out how to how to make new stuff. So, you know, but but at the same time, they got to put a little bit of effort into it. Like, Capcom, I love you. You gave me my Resident Evil HD, and I'm happy about it. But that thing is still a little rough. So, y- you got away with one. Let's let's be careful There's... when you guys keep going. Their solution to this to the the resolution issue was to zoom in the camera <laughs> that was dumb yeah that especially like the one uh the godly the one save room on like the i, th- I want to say it's the east side of the first floor of the mansion is like good like, i still haven't played it it's just grainy like it, it's it's horrible like did you guys even look at it like don't get me wrong that game's still awesome but yikes um yeah, well, it's clear that that was a also a rush job. Although to their to their defense, they apparently also don't have the original assets, so they couldn't have done it anyway. Yeah. So can we move into news um, and talk about how excited I am for a game announcement? And I I did in fact ask for this. You can't kill progress, Rob. Okay, so I, I Stephen was going back and forth with me, and I I wasn't completely sold on the whole can't kill progress. Oh energy. man. I- I am gonna go ahead and blunt and You were right. I'm not I'm not gonna gloat at you. I'm gonna say the moment it was can't kill progress, I was like, this is absolutely the progress of humanity augmentations boom. I felt and like I that was pretty much what the entire internet minus Rob thought. Well no, I thought it was a little too I thought two things. One, I thought the timing was weird. I, I thought that this was going to be like a the lights dim at like a press conference and Deus well, X is announced at E three. Like that's what it, I thought. Keep in mind, Square Enix makes teaser sites for teaser sites for mobile titles. That's true. So I, a recent trend, both for Square Enix and Ubisoft, uh, has been to announce things a month or so before E3, then let hype build, and then have a giant info dump at E3. Well, I, actually, I, I, wait, wait. I actually think that's smarter, too. Wait, 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 wait. No, that's Ubisoft's tendency. Square Enix's tendency is, please look forward to it next e3 let's no no, uh, no. Let's, they had that they had a uh, a press conference in february of 2014 where they announced most of their e3 lineup and then they gave us a news trickle until we got those nice e3 trailers that you guys all saw yeah so we, and then at the following e3 we got nothing and we also got a type zero hd 
faux announcement randomly in the middle of E3. So they... was well, a misdirect from Vita to PS4. Yeah. You know, they didn't even you know, know what they were on. I actually have a theory on that. Uh, so the fan translation for Type-0 came out the day before they announced it at E3. I think they weren't ready to announce it. I think that they only announced it because that fan translation came out. You're probably and, right. Just to kill that. And they didn't want to they didn't want to get the negative yeah. hype of we're cancel we're gonna cancel this fan translation and we're not making it. What they were like is, oh crap, we were gonna announce this in two months, but now we have to announce it now, so it looks like we're not just trolling. Okay, back up, back up, back up. So they did a an ARG, can't kill progress, which was kinda like a a Twitch plays Deus Ex. It, it was really stupid. I, I, I don't like the it way it was too dragged out. It was too dragged out, it was trying to be very clever, and it really wasn't, and then of course the leak happens and Game Informer needs to announce it because they've got the cover story, so then the whole thing got ruined a day in advance. Whatever. The important thing is, there's a new Deus Ex coming out, Deus Ex, Mankind Divided. I wanted to say, even though this isn't the music podcast... That mm. trailer got me when he jumps in and starts kicking absolute ass and they play and, just a couple bars from Icarus from oh, the yeah. original. I was like, the hair stood up. I was like, oh, F yeah. Oh, so I, I, I'm going to say I'm very excited for that game. I love the song. I like the trailer. Oh, my God. Could they throw any more sci-fi cliches? In a world of mankind divided, we no, will have to make the hard choice. I'm like, oh my god, shut up! No, I wanted more angel wings. Are you kidding me? Like, the first time they did it in the middle of the trailer, I was like, alright, alright, I get it. Then they did it again, and I was just like, guys, okay, come on, subtlety here. I, uh, like, I, I'm glad they brought Jensen back. Apparently people are mad that they're bringing Jensen back, but Jensen's I was the most really interesting... I was He's the most interesting protagonist that series has had. Because J.C. Denton is sort of a non-character. Eh, iffy. And Alex Alex D, who cares? Nobody cares about I, Alex D. I was really surprised they brought Jensen back. I think that's good. I, I really like that they're going for a cybernetic apartheid. Like, yeah, it's it's cliche, but it's kind of like the whole District 9 argument, which was a, a whole debate we had at MAGFest. But, like, if you oh, do boy. it right, it can that be... Was an, that was an argument. That was an argument. But, like, they're doing... A, a, I think a, I wasn't there for that one. No, you missed that one. Uh, it's a cybernetic... No, that was when Caitlin and Rob almost killed each other. I can't help it that she didn't like Elise. Ah, 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 ah. She's not here to defend herself. She's not here to defend herself. That's not fair. But we had a disagreement about Elysium, and that's fair. But uh, they're going for a cybernetic apartheid, which I think is a really, really cool idea. Uh, having played the – when did the director's cut come out? Was that last – when was that? Like November? Two, two years ago, I think. A year ago? I don't know. I, don't remember. I can't remember, but I played through the director's cut again, and they did some really smart things. They changed up some UI. Uh, it, it it felt really good, casual. They made it so your last battery recharges. Well, they no, no, no. It was always the last battery recharge, but now they gave you two. And oh, right, 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 right. That opened up, uh, that opened up a lot more possibilities to use the cloaking, which I, I had a lot of fun with, like replay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, I was still planning out, like, everything I did, but it, it just felt like a better game for that. Like, I wasn't just eating protein bars. Well, every- you know, it, it was it, it was just carefully designed in that, you know, they they, t- they they saw what was wrong that people had with the pace of the of the original release and fixed it. Yeah, the pacing was better because you weren't sitting around waiting for your one battery to recharge. They fixed the boss battles by just making it so that you could skip them, basically, because you could just use stealth and kill them 
super easy. But it, it it was a great game. You know, it ended kind of poorly, but we talked about that before. They kind of they needed to get the game out. There were so many good things with that game. My one thing that I am really really concerned about, and I said it to Derek in the the pre show warm up. Thief really really sucked. Like that game was awful. I, I that felt like their first game. I really hope that they took everybody that was like in charge of Thief that made that the absolute muddled mess. There's a part in Thief. You don't want where another Thief map? No, no, no. There's a part in Thief where they went for like a third person uncharted climbing section and they do it once in the whole game. And you're like, what? What are you? What was this just left behind? from like an earlier build of the game and you said ah f it let's DLC. go with it like that game is a mess so i'm really hoping that like everybody who was involved in together. whoever was involved in like the upper decision making process was fired and we got the original human revolution guys that actually knew what the hell they were doing in terms of level design in terms of stealth I think mechanics i think it's the same director i i think it's the same director uh, as the human revolution although i think he also directed thief but i don't know yeah, I, uh, my, my only question yeah, yeah. about the new Deus Ex is uh, they are getting – so you have Star Wars Episode One Syndrome where Human Revolution is a prequel oh, yeah. to Deus Ex 1. Uh, this is two years later, and that's two years closer to Deus Ex 1. And you have Star Wars Episode One Syndrome where why is all the older technology better looking than the tech in – the day in the first one you also have the problem of this game takes place what like 14 years in the future and apparently we have flying cars cybernetic arms and like mecha and it's like i i kind of wish that they had just rewritten the whole history and just pushed it forward 100 years just to like well, I mean, get away progress, from it the progress of technology is sort of known for its like exponential leaps like you know it goes a little it goes a little and it jumps I, you ain't having a cybernetic arm in 14 years dude i'm still waiting for flying cars dude, and power have laces. cybernetic arms now don't you read that like in like the news like you don't have are... power laces yet dude all right well, we don't want power laces cybernetic arm lets like a person who couldn't have an arm <laughs> lose an arm but no like i'm i'm going to be interested to see if they attempt to continue to stay true to the plot of the original i personally don't think they will uh, because I don't know, like what I'm, what I'm hoping this, because uh, I, w- I really want them to bring in the plot of the of the first Deus Ex, which is all these people with mechanical augmentations are being replaced by people with nanotech augmentations, and that's a really interesting like obsolescence of humanity accelerated to a faster pace. Um, I would love if this game sort of dips into yeah, Jensen's one of the first people to get augmented, you know, with these mechanical combat augs. And now that you're fighting nanotech og people, like that would be really cool. Or no, you couldn't because Denton was, I don't know. But like, I want to know if they are going to dive into the concerns of the first game or like bleed into that. There's a lot of really cool room for them to grow. I'm really glad that Dishonored came out because I think, I think Dishonored did the stealth aspects better, but I think the world design of Deus Ex was more interesting. So I think that Dishonored will keep them honest a little bit. Like, they they got a they, Deus Ex is a great game. Human Revolution is an awesome game, but you know it's it's stealth mechanics were a little rough in some places. Its shooting wasn't perfect. It sounds like they've, according to some leaks from the Game Informer article, they're they're going in a really good direction. I really think we're going to see it at E3, and based on what that company has done, I would imagine that we're going to see that game maybe next summer or fall. Because they I actually think we're going to get it. Uh, early next year that would be awesome I, i'm really excited for that game 
I'm really, really excited. That that music was great. Uh, mm, 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 mm. I'm 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 happy. Let's do this. So should we keep going with news, Derek? You got any more for us? Because we haven't done anything in like a month. Is Derek not here? Did Derek leave? Uh, oh, I was muted. I was talking. Oh my god. Oh my god, Derek. <laughs> I was talking a lot of crap to you. <laughs> okay, we'll kill you. What a story, Derek. I was like, oh, it's all about what you want, Rob, huh? Jerk. What about what Mike wants? What oh, hi, Doug. I, there was all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, are you guys wrapped up on your thoughts on uh, Deus Ex? Did you yep, guys? Yep, did yep. you get your word in? No. Did Mike get his word in? Are you good, Mike? I want. I want to make sure you're okay. I'm. I'm good. It's fine. Hey, okay, Peter. Peter. Okay, Peter's fine. So uh, there, there's been some there's been some stuff. Uh, I know that you aren't too into it slash you don't really know what's going on with it. But uh, Level Five did just announce that Yokai Watch is coming west. It's kind of a big deal. Um, Yokai Watch is their answer to Pokemon. It's an entire media, I don't know, like ne- network umbrella. Um, it's got it's it started with video games, but they've got. Yokai Watch, all kinds of merch. Like you, you can have the actual watches that the characters use in the game. I guess I should back up and explain what Yokai Watch actually is. It is a Pokemon, Pokemon with ghosts. Yeah, it's a Pokemon style, um, like a light RPG, whatever you want to call it, that features Japanese spirits, yokai, but they have all these comical, like kind of kid-friendly designs. It's too um, bad it, it can't be Yokan Watch. That'd be awesome. <laughs> like <laughs> Yokan, like a, like an inn. The dessert. Yokan, not Yokan. Oh, okay, sorry. It's like it's like flan kind of. Okay, gotcha. But uh, it's huge in Japan. Um, it's it's sold gangbusters. It's made them a ton of money. When I was there uh, last summer, it was everywhere. Like everything had yokai watch on it, no matter where you went. Like I went to shrines in Kyoto, and they had right next to the the like Inari foxes that you could buy the keychains and stuff. They were like, also we have yokai watch. Do you want yokai watch? Um, so it's. Just to compound the fact on how popular it is over there, Yokei Watch 2 was the number one selling game in all of Japan last year. And Yokei Watch 1, which came out three years ago, was the number six selling game in Japan last year. And yeah, last year, too. And yeah, they're, they're, both, they're both 3DS games. They're ostensibly kind of like Pokemon in that wow. you're, you're locating a bunch of colorful monster things called Yokai, which are... Japanese spirits, kind of like ghosts, don't really know exactly the specifics of it, and it's it's really just the full media blitz that that is helping make it popular. Like the first the first game actually sold poorly, and then it had an anime series and started selling those watches and became enormous. Mm-hmm. So and so and then the second one was enormously successful last year, and the third one, which I think is the one that's getting localized in the United States takes place in the United States. So there's like American bacon yokai and stuff. Yeah, and that's so uh, yeah, it, it looked and uh, I'm like there's one that's called like USA something that's USA themed that looks like a little astronaut. I I don't know. I read it, I read some uh-huh. articles about it this week. That's cute. And, but uh, the uh, I I honestly am not I, it's it's head scratching to me that they would bring it to the United States since it seems really inherently Japanese and I'm not sure that uh, it will have the success in the anime and in the merch that it has in Japan, which really helped it along. I think um, it because what surprises me is that they're taking so long to roll it out because it's not even going to come out in here until next year, which is like super far away. What? 
what the hell is up with level five taking like years to localize their games? I don't know, but yeah, they, they never even brought an Inazuma Eleven game over to the United States, and there's like six. They of did one, like one digitally came out here oh, uh, okay. last year. Yeah, but I mean, it was released with no fanfare whatsoever. <laughs> um, but the the thing that that I, I guess they're they want to take their time to work up this kind of marketing storm. And I think the only way that it's going to perform incredibly well is if they market to the, the child audience. And if they start, like, I think they need to bring the show here um, and, and, like, market it super heavily on Cartoon Network or something and then start putting toys in stores and then, you know, release the games or whatever. I, I don't know what order they should do it in, but I, I think they should definitely start exposing people to it first because if they want this to be a Pokemon-level success, which I doubt it will be, um, they need to put in some serious work. I, I think that... I just think it's going to be hard to find another uh, success on the level of Pokemon with what is basically the same thing in the U.S. Like, I don't know if, if the audiences will react to it well. But I'm, I'm also kind of basing that out of nothing. Well, yeah, I don't no, know. I, I, I'm inclined to agree with you, Derek. There's name like the yokai, like yokai are an inherently Japanese thing. Their names are full of Japanese puns. Um, I don't really see how it's distinctively different from Pokemon or Digimon or any of those similar monster like locating collecting games. And uh, I mean, is it distinctly different enough that you know children will want to play Yokai Watch instead of Pokemon? When Pokemon's enormous in the U.S., I, I think I, I don't think so. If anything, it might be uh, less. <clears throat> I don't know. Maybe more penetrable uh, than Pokemon, just because it's starting off as a as a fresh series in the in the United States. So it's like okay, starting from the beginning. Yeah, that's actually know, how I feel too. New merch, new characters. Like I don't have to catch up on anything. I think that is enticing in a sense because a a, a parent of a child, especially, may be like, okay, well. I don't need to go buy him the old stuff or like, he's not going to be asking me about stuff that's already out. Like this is a new thing. Yeah, maybe. And, and there's the inherent newness of it may also contribute to a bit, but, but I think that you're totally right. That like also the Japanese-ness of it may make it difficult for people to, to pick up immediately. Like, I mean, Pokemon, you know, Pokemon is like a, it's just pocket monsters, but it sounds Japanese. Um, but I, they, they at least like kind of, Americanized a lot of the names of the creatures, whereas I don't know what they're going to do with Yokai Watch. Like, to make the only thing sound... I will disagree with here is that I don't think the inherent Japaneseness of it will make it as a concept. I don't think that will hurt it from selling because that's the same sort of attitude that you know we change the ocean, uh, the ocean in Digimon to an ocean of chocolate, like, or you know they they clearly are eating rice balls, but they like paint over it and they're like, yeah, it's a cookie. Eat your uh, jelly no. donuts, Ash. I, like, I, I actually think... Like in I Phoenix actually think where they go out for burgers all the time? Yeah. Well, actually, I think Phoenix Wright does it right, though, because... Ha! Does it well, because they make it funny and make doofy that puns out beautiful. of it. But right no, I think... Right uh, I actually think the inherent sort of Japanese-ness of it may actually uh, be part of its allure. Because, I mean, we, I we know Pokemon so well. Pokemon is... What does that word mean? I, I, I'm not, I don't know, maybe I was just blowing smoke when I was suggesting that it was too Japanese, and I mean, my tastes are, like, extremely Japanese RPG, as in what games I play, but it, I, I don't know, something about Yokai Watch seems like it wouldn't be as, it, it doesn't seem as accessible to, uh, as Pokemon to me, and 
because part of why it was successful in Japan was the whole media blitz thing and uh, and merch. I don't know if if that if a similar tactic would work in the United States where Pokemon is sort of stands alone in that genre. And, and especially since the game is aimed at small children, even though I'm sure people our age will play it. Oh yeah. I, I, I mean, this okay. also I mean this also reflects my own taste and preferences. I'm not interested in Yokai Watch, so I have a lot of doubts about it. But I I, I could be wrong. Please, I'll sure let me be wrong. It kind of feels I also hope way. I also hope they're wrong for making Fantasy Life Two a mobile game. Oh, right. and and Layton Seven. What the heck is that BS about? That that they're, they're, that, they're gonna was, make more. I was more, pretty salty about that. They're gonna make more money on that. But uh, to the it's, also, it's also at the expense of an existing audience. And yeah. I am sure it will be monetized and it will become crap and whatever. I, I, I recently decided uh, I think all mobile games are terrible if they're monetized. If they're free to play, they're bad because the game is built to charge money. I just wanted to point that out. Because having – this is off topic. I played Record Keeper and Record Keeper, I didn't realize how many things Terra Battle does that other mobile games do. But oh my god, <laughs> free, to, free to play is the worst thing ever. There are plenty of okay mobile games out there, but the ones I like will charge me a few pu- a few bucks for one thing and then leave it at that. Yes. All right, more news. I'm bringing back the old statement. More news. More news, huh? Uh, well, there was the huge Nintendo, there was the big Nintendo Direct, and I I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff that we could discuss from that, but I think the big one for us would be Shinigami Tensei Cross Fire Emblem. Um, can, we, can we just? Shimagami Tensei X Waifu Simulator. Yeah. Illusionary. Illusionary Revelation. Right. I don't understand what that game is trying to do. Like that game doesn't I, look like a Shin Megami game, and it doesn't look like a Fire Emblem game. It's a like a weird action-looking RPG thing. I don't know. Like I don't understand how the overlap there appeals to fans of either of those series. It it really looked know. bizarre to me. It looked like I think they were summoning Fire Emblem characters and then fighting alongside them because they met, they distinctly showed displayed one of the bosses as being Aversa from Fire Emblem Awakening, and the main girl, schoolgirl character, summoned a giant Pegasus and began riding riding it. And it yeah, was, I don't even know, man. Also, totally, I feel like it looks more like Persona than Shin Megami Tensei. I'd agree with that. Which is yeah. funny because I, I think everybody was expecting it yeah. to be more Fire Emblem than I was just ex- I was so. expecting darker really. Um, yeah, that was very like J-pop idol dancey, and and yeah. that turned that turned me off a bit. Um, I it wasn't what I was expecting at all, and it wasn't necessarily a bad thing. Like I was very much uh, disenchanted with the overt fan service like immediately, but um, I, I think that like the game concept seems like it could be cool. I just was like, wow, really? You're, you're going to have the first trailer be like, look at the boobs, 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 boobs. Like, seriously? Uh, absolutely. I completely agree. I'm actually, I'm leaning towards the positive on on this one. Or on this one. Okay. I, on this game. <laughs> on the boobs, yes. But I, also I, on the game. I, people, people have looked over some of the, some like screenshots and stuff and pointed out some smaller things that are either very Fire Emblem-esque or very Shin Megami-esque. Like um, someone pointed out that one of the characters was wielding what looked like the Falcon. Like he looked like like a very heavily armored Krom with the Falcon. And I mean, we mentioned the, the Pegasus Knight that is riding a transformable robot rocket horse into battle. Uh, and... And also, there was um, 
during one of the battle sequences, if you freeze frame it, when they're targeting an enemy, it shows like a sort of weakness emblem. So either either some form of Persona style or SMT style elemental weaknesses, or a the fire, fire emblem style like style like thing. yeah, their weapon triangle, it's something like that, or both of those things will be represented somehow. But man, the whole thing looks like fire emblem dancing all night, and I I don't even know. Agreed. I, yeah, again, I, I, please I'm, be I'm patient okay for more information. I'm okay with Fire Emblem dancing all night, to be honest. But yeah, we'll wait and see. That's uh, well, I mean, that's all I really had for news. I know we're running a little bit long on the show. Well, I'd, I'd say the last thing that we, since we talked about Fire Emblem Shin Megami Tensei cross oh, with sure. a with a mm-hmm. sharp in the title. Cross uh, hashtag. Yeah, cross hashtag sharp. Uh, I think hashtag we got. I think we got to talk about Fire Emblem If, which is like, okay, you guys have three campaigns that you're talking about now. Speaking of... The third one is download only, but yeah, go ahead, Peter. I was saying, well, speaking of Pokemon earlier, people, they're releasing the new Fire Emblem as two versions in Japan, uh, White Kingdom and Black Kingdom, and people seem to, it seems to be conflicting about whether or not this is a Pokemon-esque, like, two versions thing, or if this is more... Oracle of Ages, Oracle of Seasons. Uh, from what they explained, I think it's Oracle of Ages and Seasons. They said that it's two completely different campaigns, which is cool. Uh, yeah. It's when they get those DLC campaigns in there that things are starting to become complicated. And also, I think there were functional mechanical differences between the two games, because uh, one, some of the forum chatter I saw said that White Kingdom would be a world map game where you could backtrack and fight r- random battles like an Awakening or Fire Emblem Sacred Stones, while Black Kingdom was a straightforward one map at a time, like Fire Emblem 679 deal, which really could, is a fundamental uh, difference. But uh, the each one has a totally separate campaign. Uh, the other ca- The campaign of the other game is downloadable to the other other game and there's a third campaign that's download only that takes place after the two simultaneous campaigns yeah and also also a uh, white can't white sorry to interrupt but white kingdom yeah. is vaguely uh sort of japanese feudal samurai samurai and ninjas aesthetic and black kingdom is sort of more medieval european knights and like knights and wizards sort of visual and there's the main character is a you know a a robin-esque my unit that can be rate that can uh, be you know a resident of either kingdom. I do like that, and I like that the the unit is right. central to the story rather than being like the the accessory character to the main character. Yeah, I think it's cool that they're sort of giving you an awakening style waifu obnoxious simulator and a real <laughs> Fire Emblem game. Really, you think that? <laughs> oh no! Actually, I started I, re- I started replaying Awakening, and I sort of like it. But well, I, I I like Awakening. I just can't decide how I want to play it because I feel like that game is either way too hard or way too easy. Like it, there's no middle ground. Like it, normal is a cakewalk. Like that. No, no, hard classic is the way to play that. I I felt like hard classic though was just if you I love stress. To... Sure. Yeah, I, I felt like hard classic was I just need to level up more and then I don't run the risk of dying. Well, the thing about Awakening, I hope this isn't too off to- topic, but it overwhelms you with content because it gives you huge amount of th- of optional quests and ability to backtrack and fight backtrack and fight random battles or just press on with the story and never touch an optional quest or random battle. And at one level, that allows people to play at their own pace and basically treat it however, like however 
whichever Fire Emblem you prefer. But also someone that want that wants to try everything and experience everything can really wreck the experience curve easily. Well, then and there's the, then there's that, that's what happened to me. I made it too easy by trying to do everything that was in front of me, which was way too much. The the problem is that then there's also Tactics Ogre, which is the far better tactical RPG that everyone should play. I'm sorry, did you mispronounce Disgaea? Uh, okay, if you like. Oh, 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 wow! If you like another game where you just power level until the tactics become kind of stupid. You level until you or you're, you're, you basically level until you're performing calculus in Disgaea. But yeah, I was I was deliberately trying to get under your skin. Disgaea has tactics, but they are in the how am I going to gain as many levels as possible in this one move. Yeah, which is yep. fine, but I I just found the tactics ogre. I, I agree. Exactly that's what I want. That's more meta. I prefer the Tactics Ogre style as well. Yeah, and I do too. But I, but I did love the the relationship stuff in Fire Emblem. Like that was the oh, thing yeah. that I, I kind of want to replay it for because I, I liked that stuff. Yeah, Chances just, are each person in this chat has a different waifu. Just you know, going statistically. Husbandos really, but no. I uh, the the thing that I want is just more depth in my characters um, in, in the new Fire Emblems and. All right. Yeah, I mean, I, I have nothing to point to whether that's going to happen or not, but I, I think that the, the focus seems to be more on narrative than, like, pairing characters. I mean, I, we don't even know if the pairing characters thing is going to happen in this one because we don't know if there's going to be, like, time travel or whatever. Uh, I don't know. Exa- they mentioned that the pair-up system where two units occupy one space is going to be back. Yeah, that's been about for a while. Yeah, well, it has. Was a it few in games. One- oh, was it in, like, the second uh, Shadow Dragon that we never got or something? Wasn't it? I, th- I thought it was for... Or was, thought, was that not in the DS one? It, it wasn't in the first Shadow Dragon, but it may have been oh, in the second. Oh, okay. All right. But I, I stand corrected. I thought I, it was in at least... I'm not, not certain myself. I could be wrong. But, uh, yeah, we don't know exactly how the relationship stuff is going to work, but I'm 100% certain that it will be there in some form. Mm. It was too popular, I think, for them to issue. Oh, it, oh yeah. I, th- I think we should keep talking because Steven really wants to eat, and we should just keep him here as long as possible. No, I'm hungry too. <laughs> oh, I will, I, I will leave. I will go sit down and eat pizza and play Pillars. Okay. All right. All right. Well, we're going to talk about Pillars and the Final Fantasy 15 demo on the next episode of Random Encounter. Uh, because we are already drifting yes. into the deep end. All right. All right. All right. You're so stuck on that. Everybody stop. Everybody stop. So I, I think we could go another 45 minutes on Pillars of Eternity. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I could, but then I would just die. Thanks and then I wouldn't everybody for uh, listening to Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. Uh, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. Start giving us some more uh, listener mail. We're going to get back into that. My apologies for taking so long to get this episode up. It's a uh, busy season at school, and also Bloodborne happened. So, yeah. You did. Gonna... Didn't really want a podcast, just wanted to play the game. So, uh, Understandably so. I also uh, just wanted to say really quick, I recently guest starred on... Well, star makes it sound so glamorous. Um, I was recently a guest on another podcast called Koopa Club. That's Koopa with a Q. K-O-O-P-A-K-L-U-B. Sorry. Q-O-O-P-A-K-L-U-B. I'm, I'm so good at spelling. I did win a spelling bee in fourth grade, actually. But... Uh, <laughs> I was a guest on their show. Um, they're a group of really nice guys. They mostly talk about Nintendo games, but anything is fair game. And it is a gay gaming podcast. So if you are gay and you want to listen to other dudes talk about games and a lot of really vulgar stuff, um, take a listen. They're cool guys. It's a cool show. Uh, I was on two episodes. Please look forward to it. All right. 
All right. Well, for uh, Stephen, Derek, Peter, and Mike, uh, thanks a lot for listening, and we will see you all later. Bye. Bye. Oh, bye. Oh, bye, Rob.